1: If you're a beginner, we're not going to talk over your head. It's more like asking your buddy for help. We have guests, we have fun, and let me tell you, these two can get off on a tangent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to HTML All The Things Podcast. This is Matt Lawrence and Mike Curran.
0: That's it, everybody. We are back, and this is the HTML All Things Podcast. This episode is titled Essential Gear Guide for Web Developers in 2020. 20- 24. So it's a new year. Maybe it's time for some new gear. Now, we will be talking about some specific products, but we will not be talking about necessarily the specific, you know, this model, this serial number, this whatever. We're going to include some links in the show notes to specific things, specifically that Mike recommends. And if I get some time, maybe I'll do that as well. But we're going to kind of be talking at a more of a broad level for a lot of it. Some specific models may come up because we didn't want to go in and be like, get the LG 2468104 (laughs) Model A hardware, you know, for an audio show. Not the greatest thing in the world. So... If this sounds interesting to you and you want to support the show, you can go check us out on that Patreon. Leave a review or rating on your podcast app. Join us in our Discord server. Share this with your friends. And remember that we do have a Scrimba affiliate link if you want to learn how to code with an, with an interactive media player code editor where you can stop what the instructor's doing by pausing the video and play with the code live right there in the media player. Go check that out. You can get a discount if you use our link. Discount on their subscriptions if you use our link. Scrimba.com slash link slash hat and hat is spelled H-A-T. H-A-T-T, excuse me. So, Mike, we have three tiers here. So we've discussed a minimum tier, a moderate tier, and a maximum tier. That's based on budget. All the dollar amounts we'll be talking about, unless otherwise stated, is in, are in U.S. dollars. So, Mike, the minimum tier. If you just want to get started, you don't have a large budget, or you're not sure if this industry is for you,
2: what do you got to get? Absolutely. And, like, one thing I want to preface this episode with is that we're going to be talking like later on in the episode about some like really expensive gear and our ideal perfect setups. And that's just Matt and I going to be nerding out about it. But the most important part of this episode is the minimum tier. I want to be very clear on that. A lot of people that are listening to this, maybe you're just getting into web development. Maybe you're going, you're thinking about getting into it and you're worried that you have to spend a ton of money up front to have a computer that can render a website. It's just not the case. So, the minimum tier is where I'm going to spend a a good portion of my time here to explain to you why that's not the case. And I'm going to give you more concrete recommendations because I think a lot of people think they need to spend way too much money or choose the wrong cheap laptop, if that makes sense, or wrong cheap computer in general.
0: If I may also add something, is that if you see someone's really good setup, unless it's somebody that has a lot of money and they're you know, splurging on it or it's or it's an influencer that needs like a nice set for Instagram to take photos of. For the most part, Mike and I have built up our changes. So for example, like I was using a 12-year-old computer and then just months, just previously, I, you know, bought a bunch of parts. During Black Friday, during low pricing of a lot of these components, I then put those together. Now I have the computer and then now I'm, because it's Boxing Day sales here in Canada, I'm now upgrading the monitor because quite literally I have a new main monitor, but I have like a well over 10 year monitor is my side monitor right now. Like I'm looking at Mike on that side monitor. He's blurry because it's 900 <laughs> P it's very old. Like it's very, very old. Like I used to plug into this thing with VGA cause that was the standard back then. So, um, you're, if you're trying to go from like min to max, it can be a slow buildup. That's honestly what we did. We bought a cheap microphone to start this podcast. And then we slowly got, Oh, we want a better microphone. Oh, it'd be nice to have a boom arm, you know, and then we got a cheap boom arm. Oh, this boom arm's noisy. Let's see if we can get a better boom arm. Those type of things. And then now it's like over time, I had we have a bunch of stuff on the desk, and then we'll slowly kind of pick and choose and replace things as needed. So you don't go in necessarily, <laughs> like all like full out with everything all at once.
2: Yeah. And I think that's the best way to kind of go about a lot of these expensive purchases as well Is like try out the cheaper version and see if you need anything better, because sometimes you just don't right? like, like Matt was mentioning the microphone for a, maybe two years of our first two years of the podcast. We just didn't need anything better than a snowball or a blue Yeti, right? Like that, that was our baseline and we were fine. And like, we could have got an extra super expensive XLR mic or the Elgato that we have now but the reality is is that like it probably wouldn't have made it better for us because we were learning how to podcast and we were trying it out and seeing if we liked it or not and best case like worst case scenario if we didn't like podcasting we would have just invested that initial upfront cost and then moved on to something else right so you're you're kind of minimizing your risk when you're investing into a smaller like a lower priced item maybe not the cheapest thing in the world like you don't want to use like a crappy you know built in inline mic from your headphones for podcasting like you need if you're going to try something, you need to put your best foot forward, but you're not looking at top tier at that point. Like if you're going into photography, for instance, you're not going to get, you know, the latest and greatest Canon camera uh, that costs like, you know, $4,000 to try get get your foot in photography. You're probably going to pick up like a T5i or a T6i, whatever the the, the lower end DSLR is, or you're going to pick up a mirrorless camera like a... Sony six like E6000, like an E-series Sony camera. And you're just going to try Secondhand. it out or a used one. Yeah, absolutely. And I get a lot of my stuff used, like a camera. We got a, a, Sony, a Sony camera used and stuff like that. And then you try it out. You try out a decent product at a good price. And if you get into it, you start seeing the potential that a better one has. Yep. And then you start upgrading.
0: And you want to start getting the conveniences too. like Like if you're just recording one podcast a year. I mean, like the, the cheapest blue, because blue is, you know, say studio quality. Maybe that's controversial for some people. I know some people are really into audio, but it's good quality. Blue is just good quality straight up. So you're like, oh, this is a good quality microphone that I can use. And I don't mind, you know. Pulling it out when it's on its like original stand and using it, whereas Mike and I will use this microphone for for video calls and everything for work. And so it becomes this really like annoying thing to have, like, oh, pull this out. Oh, the cable is caught. Oh, this and that. So those conveniences start becoming more of a need. Whereas, you know, if you don't have the budget, like I could go back to a blue and you, the listener may will probably barely notice it because I'll fix it up and post. And it still could out of the right out of the cable anyway.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and that's the thing. So, get, jumping into the minimum specs here, and Matt mentioned he's been using a twelve-year-old computer. I was actually using a ten, almost ten-year-old MacBook Pro as my like laptop for a long time. Uh, so like I've had experience with this tier of laptop. That's what I want to say, and I've done some pretty intense development on it. I've worked on large projects. I've worked in startups and larger companies all throughout my career on lower end hardware. I've done high end hardware as well, but I'm just saying I have experience with low end hardware and I can tell you for a fact that you can definitely make it work, okay? So what do you need to start off as a web developer? What What's the one thing that you absolutely 100% need? You need some sort of computer, right? Like you need something to actually be able to code on. Now, some people will say like, I can code on my phone. Uh-huh. I can use like a, a web ID and all that. and yet, Yes, technically there are some web IDs that work on the on your phones, or if you root your phone, it's get Linux on there, you might be able to install some sort of version of VS Code if you hack it. Um, but the reality is, is that you need something you need something a little bit more accessible. You need something with a bigger screen, you need something that's a little bit easier to, you know, type on and work with. And a laptop is usually my go-to recommendation for like the minimum spec. And the reason I say laptop is because it comes with usually a touchpad, which is your mouse, usually a keyboard, which is your key, like your input and comes with a screen, comes with a camera, comes with a microphone. It's like all in one device. Okay. It comes with everything you need to start off. If you were to go with desktop, there's plenty of good desktop options. Like you can get a cheap old office computer, but then you're looking for like a cheap monitor, a cheap keyboard, a cheap mouse. Like you're, it all of a sudden starts to balloon into more of a larger project. Then you need to set up, you need more desk space, etc. Like you need to have a, a set desk space. Maybe you're, you know, living in a, a a room with like all of your siblings or something like that. That might be tough for you to have just your own desk. So a laptop is usually what I would recommend in this situation. It's just easier to get into, easier to take with you if you need to, you know, work in the library or something. Uh, and a couple of laptop recommendations. Both are going to be in the use department because we want to get as much power and performance out of our system as we can for the money. First one, I've done this: uh, a 2015 15-inch MacBook Pro with the specs of at least 16 gigabytes of RAM, an i7 processor, and 512 gigabytes of storage. That should, on eBay or your local uh, markets, run you in the 200 to 300 USD range. That's how much they are they're costing right now. That storage,
0: I recommend or i would assume you're also recommending an ssd not a hard drive not an hdd
2: so the all, the to the 15 inch macbook pros from 2015 all come with pcie ssds and that's oh, the really wow, big okay. yeah and that's the really big yeah that that's the plus so uh why i recommend the macbook in this tier is because they were very much ahead of their time on almost every component of that machine which is it's pretty intense like to think about that a 10 year old windows laptop is gonna be mostly a piece of shit. Like, I'm. It's unfortunate. I'm sorry to say this to, for Windows fanboys, and I am gonna have a Windows recommendation that's in the same price point. It's just not gonna be a ten year old machine. They were not great, even top of the line ones. But a ten year old MacBook comes with a Retina display with pretty decent bezels, pretty thin, pretty pretty good durability because it's aluminum. It's a it's a unibody design. Like, it's a really really nicely built laptop. Usually comes with. A good amount of RAM, like eight gigabytes, to the minimum. You want to go sixteen. Comes with a good quad core processor. That's not like a U series; it's an actual H series, like a higher end laptop processor that can still, you know, do something in the in the realm of uh, today's computing. And the biggest point that Matt just just brought up: the five to- all the storage is PCIe storage. All of their everything from I think twenty thirteen and up. All running PCIe storage, and that makes a massive difference. Trust me on this one. If you're going with a, a hard drive in 2024 right now, that's no, not good. It's not, and I I just came from it. It's not good. It is disastrous. Like that is the worst thing you can do to yourself. Get yourself an SSD. If the, if you're gonna if you're upgrading something in your laptop, or your computer, that's the number one thing you should upgrade. That's just my recommendation across the board. Always, if you're in on a hard drive, immediately upgrade. SSDs have never been cheaper than they are right now. You can get like a 256 SSD for like 20 bucks.
0: And they do and they do change. I just want to be clear, like if you're listening to this and you're like, that's not how much the SSDs are. They do change, obviously, with the market. But then there's also like computer components almost have like a stock market effect to them where it'll be yeah. like GPUs are super high. SSDs are super high. SSDs are super low.
2: And it's all crazy like that. Yeah, yeah, that happens. Like, there's a flood in somewhere, and then all of a sudden, everything goes super expensive. It, remember, the, weird... remember
0: the remember the mudslide during college, and then all yeah. the hard drives were like, "Oh yeah, we lost all our hard drives." It's like, oh, like in yeah. one place. Like, no, the hard drives for the world. Good, yeah. all right, that's no problem. Don't need a hard <laughs> yeah, drive. No, yeah,
2: yeah that's it good. Hard. yeah. So that could still happen, and like logistics, supply chains, all that stuff can still happen. So stuff can get expensive. But regardless, SSD is a requirement. You need an SSD in your machine. Period. Especially if you're running Windows 11, I want to make that clear. Like Windows 11 or Windows 10, do not work with hard drives. The fact that Microsoft has hard drive as a minimum requirement on their website is bullshit. And it, okay, hang on. It works. It's very bad. I I disagree that it works is the right way to put it. Like because okay,
0: so here here's the thing though is like I've used a hard drive on a Windows 10 laptop that was a Windows 8 laptop. So I bought it when it was late Windows 8 81 whatever you want to call it. And then I got that. Mike, Mike Semek has seen this. I used it. It literally would take 40 minutes, an actual 40 minutes for it to calm down and finish all of its startup stuff. And when you clicked on to open anything, it would take up to 10 minutes. That's not an exaggeration. It was a gaming laptop. I bought it for gaming in college. It took forever. I was I almost had to get rid of it, but we had just started the business. So it's like we don't have that much money. I ended up just getting an SS. I ended up getting a better hard drive at first. Because SSDs were still relatively small for the price. So I got a better hard drive that helped a little bit. And updates, even on the better hard drive, would literally take so long that Windows would be like, hey, we're getting things ready. And then a screen would show up and they know that clearly they know people have hard drives. And it says, this is taking longer than expected. But don't worry, we're still working. That When, when that type of stuff starts showing up in your computer, it's like, man, I can't apply a Windows update. So it's it's start like it's starting to get a little silly. Also, I will say an SSD will even revitalize an older laptop like it did for me, because I then eventually put an SSD in there and used it for another three years. And it's and even to this day, I could use it for productivity tasks if I needed to. So it just as an FYI, and also right now I have a modern Lenovo laptop that's like maybe three years old, four years old, something like that. And it has an SSD in it. It has like 256 gigs. And then it came with a one terabyte hard drive, which was fine at the time, because the idea is, oh, the games are running off the hard drive at the time. Games didn't really take advantage of an SSD, so it didn't really matter. And so you run all your, you know, sort of programs and stuff off the 256. And then the games specifically, because the gaming laptop also, the gaming, the games would do this. Now, I use this thing also for work a lot. So I thought, oh, that's great. I have a lot of images and stuff for work. That'll go on the hard drive because it's cheaper to have a terabyte there, blah, 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 And that'll be fine because loading images from a hard drive even to this day is easy. The problem is, is that now games take advantage of an SSD and also even editing things like images and video is slow off a hard drive now. So hard drives really should only be there if you want to get a huge amount of space in are archiving uh, media or your like, for example, I have like a Plex server that has huge hard drives in it, like server drives in it. And I have obviously media in there. I like back up all my photos to it. I have all my old gaming clips from my PlayStation and stuff because playing even 4K from a hard drive of a good rating is still totally viable. But if I had to like constantly edit and whatever, I'd be pulling it down, editing my gaming clip with whatever clip champ or whatever, and then of re-uploading it to my Plex server.
2: Yeah, hosting your media on a hard drive, there's nothing wrong with that. Hosting your game sometimes on a hard drive is fine too right now. Backups? Yeah, backups. hard, Hard drives are still viable. It's just not your main drive. You don't want to use it as your main drive. It can be in your NAS. It can be in your server. That's perfectly fine.
0: I just wanted to mention it because I didn't want someone to take our advice and then go like, oh, I need a backup drive. I need six terabytes of storage, which is not out of the realm for people that like collect media. I need six terabytes of storage. I better get a six terabyte SSD. You're going to be paying a lot. So like that type of stuff is
2: totally still hard drivable and it's totally viable. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's my MacBook recommendation. Um, Do you need a MacBook? No, no. Absolutely. You do not need a MacBook to code. Uh, one reason that, like, the reason that I kind of suggest the MacBook a lot, and that's why one of the reasons I suggested first is because it gives you the best of almost all worlds in terms of uh, you can download any browser on it that you want, including Safari, and this is the key one. You can't download Safari and like try Safari out on your Windows or Linux machine, which is uh, unfortunate because it kind of gatekeeps you away from testing it out when you're building a website, and Safari right now has become kind of the internet explorer of browsers. Uh, You could make an argument for Firefox because Safari is like catching up and actually pushing features forward. But regardless, like it's a a separate browser that is a big chunk of your potential audience that if you don't have a way to debug on it might be a pain in the ass. So I kind of lean towards recommending MacBooks for web developers for that specific reason, uh, just so they have a device that they can test all browsers on with all different resolutions and all that and have a better idea of what's going on that their clients are seeing. But having said that, like you might not be a front end developer, you might not care about that. However many percent in your app use Safari, that's perfectly fine to start out. If you're more comfortable with Windows or you want to go full Linux, uh, my recommendation here is a ThinkPad T480. Now the T480 series has been going on for a really long time on Think a uh, ThinkPad. So when you're eBaying a ThinkPad T480, you're looking for something in the realm of like an 8000 Gen processor, an Intel 8000. So it's going to be an i7 or an i5 8000. Uh, that's going to be fairly new-ish. Like it's it's I think it's six or seven years old at this point, and it's also going to have that i7 requirement that I would say and a 512 gigabyte storage. 16 gigabytes of RAM. It's going to be a very similar similarly spec machine to the MacBook. It and it's going to be very similarly priced. I recommend ThinkPads because a lot of times they are the most robust, robust and built to last laptops still. They're meant to be business use, they're meant to be carried around, they're not very thick, they're not very heavy. They're usually built decently well for a Windows laptop and from what I understand like there were so many of them built back in those days like seven years ago that there's a lot of spare parts so if you do have something that goes out like maybe you need a new battery or you need a new screen and you're kind of you're a tinkerer that it could be easy for you to find like a broken one or just like a a spare part might be easy for you to fix
0: lenovo also offers and it is per product so you know do do your do your due diligence but when covid began they offered me like a really cheap warranty extension on my laptop because my laptop had one year we one year was over and i got actually a, a a keep your drive meaning that like if they have to remove the hard drive that i they send it back to me because i had client intel in there um but Like I got to keep your drive in house service. They would send someone to my house within 24 hours uh, or maybe it was 48 hours, whatever I paid for to my house to fix it, which is like really good. And like ThinkPads obviously have enterprise plans like that. So do like if you're if you're a person that's like, man, I don't want to touch this. I don't want to break this laptop. I I just need to learn how to code right now. Do check out, you know, extended warranty options because Lenovo does offer them for certain models for certain reasons.
2: Yeah, and like most likely on the seven year old laptop, you're not going to get it. Uh, but if you're buying new, like if you're hearing this episode and you're like, you know what, I, I don't trust used and I want to go new, Lenovo does offer a lot of like crazy deals throughout mm-hmm. their website. So you might want to just, you know, keep an eye on that. Um, I would never, I would pretty much never pay full price for a Lenovo product because you know in a week it's going to go on sale. That's usually how it is. I steer away from recommending IdeaPad which is their kind of budget-friendly Lenovo's for, uh like, your, you know...
1: It, it's a consumer level. brand.
2: It's a very consumer brand, and I've had bad experience with the consumer brand stuff where after a year, right outside of warranty, something goes wrong. Like, that, that's happened to me twice with my wife's laptop and the laptop that I had before. Um, stuff Like, consumer brand stuff is going to consumer brand. That's just how it is. Yes. So, if you go lowest tier, like, if you're like, oh, I don't want to buy used but I want to spend the same amount of money. You're probably going to have a bad time. That's why I always recommend used in this like $200 to $400 range because you're going to get so much more bang for the buck and you're going to get an old, yes, an older laptop, maybe not as performant, but you're going to get a much higher tier fully well-built machine with probably a better screen because low tier laptops usually chimp out on quality screen, uh, like Wi-Fi. Sometimes that's another really careful one that you want to do. Like you don't want a one by one Wi-Fi PCIe card. Cause that'll like very, very severely limit how much bandwidth you can pass, pass through. We used
0: uh, to, we used to swap those in college on people's laptops. Yeah. I remember that we, we, we bought yeah. a few and uh, swapped them out for them. Cause
2: it was so bad. No, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like, yeah, no one by one cards are really, really bad. Like you can have like something downloading in the background, like a steam update and everything will just be freeze, freeze it's up over, because there's yeah. just not enough bandwidth. Yeah. For the, for anything else. So you need, you need at least a two by two. Um, and th- th- again, this is where the cheap new laptops catch you. Is these little things like again screen, Wi-Fi card, build quality is a huge one. Speakers, camera quality, everything around the the, the main specs of the machine. Because like, you might be able to get like a, a, be, a slightly better processor than an old one, but like if your laptop doesn't last a year or if it has a shitty screen, like are you really going to enjoy it? That's my thing. You're trying to get as much as you can out of it. You're trying to start off on a, on the right foot it's not a big deal to go use, especially if you go eBay, they have buyer protection. Uh, you know, if if you don't, if it's not what you, if it's not what you wanted, you can always send it back and get a refund. Like <laughs> be safe about it. Don't, you know, don't buy the, stu- like the, the super cheap thing that seems like a too good to be true deal because it's usually too good to be true, but do your research and try to find something in that price range. It'll work for you. Trust me, these laptops are solid. They'll most likely last you another few years at least. And that's what you need to go from like, hey, I can't, I'm kind of understanding what I'm doing here and I'm I'm learning now and then becoming a web developer. That's the whole point of this minimum tier. Is like you're not gonna probably not gonna stay on this when you're a professional, you know, working in in a in a large company. They'll probably send you a laptop, first of all, and second of all, you're gonna have enough money to get to the next tier.
0: Yeah, like two to four, like two to three hundred is a really good price. I know some people might be like, whoa, that's, you know, a lot because different money is worth different, like Mm -hmm. different currencies are worth different amounts. Um, But I mean, speaking from, say, the Western market, like the Canadian and American market, like two to three hundred dollars is like a really, really good price to start your business up. Honestly, like it's a really affordable way to go. Whoa, like one freelancer job, realistically, even at the beginner level, is probably going to cover this. So
2: like that's really good. Exactly. And that's why that's where I wanted to aim it, because I know like not everyone can afford a fifteen hundred dollar laptop right off the bat. Um, yeah. So it, it makes sense to kind of go a little bit cheaper and used. OK, uh, the, the only other thing you need to start off is Internet. So whether it's going to the library, not ideal, but if you don't have access to Internet connection at home, that's something you could technically do for free. Uh, but realistically, you might just you know have to pony up for an Internet connection, whatever it is in your area. I'm not going to give pricing here because I have no idea. Just buy a cheap internet connection. You should be good to go. We, a web developer doesn't require super high speed internet to be able to code. You need to be able to look at documentation, which is usually text-based. You might need to be able to look at videos to, for tutorials. But if you're looking at YouTube, they're very, very good at optimization. A very low connection could still get you you know, YouTube videos without any issues. You can still stream videos. Um, and anything you do in the code side of things, like connecting to a server, that's all fine on low internet connections. Like you, you don't need high upload to be able to speak to a server and like query an API call and ret- ret- retrieve it back. In fact, sometimes I'll purposely lower my connection. You can do this in DevTools in the network tab and simulate like a 3G connection just to make sure that when I'm interacting with my APIs, I'm not super, like I'm not missing anything because sometimes on a really fast connection. Stuff can be hidden in terms of like how fast or how slow it is or stuff sends back and forth so many times. Like you could sometimes have like a loop where you're sending 15 15 calls to an API and receiving 15 calls back. You're still getting the right information. But because you're on a fast connection, you don't even notice it. Whereas a slow connection, 15 calls might pick up. It might actually like add up to a certain amount of time. And you'll be like, oh, why the heck is this taking so long? And then you look in your network tap and there's 15 calls being done for no reason. So you have a random loop coming going on. So it's internet speed is not as important as you might think. You just need it. You just need internet to be able to be a web developer. Crazy, I know.
0: Well, the thing, I think the one thing you you should get is I had like a really basic plan when we first started. This is over, this is around 10 years ago ish. And i had like five megabyte down or megabits down, whatever. And I had 0.6 up. That was like, you know, generic DSL that we just kept forever because it was good enough. And that was good enough to start, but uploading things was really bad and uploading like images and stuff, even through FileZilla, which is like pretty simple FTP um, or SFTP was like really, really slow. And so I would say, you know, something like 10, 10 up, like 10 megabits up would be like pretty ideal like that, at least like right now I have 250, 250, So 250, up to 50 down. But I before this, like when I upgraded from the five went to 60 Then I had uh, I think it might have been 60 60 or might have been like 60 60 down and 10 up and that was totally fine and if I had 60 10 right now it would still be fine
2: yeah 0.7 is a little bit low like 0.6 or whatever like
0: that's that's pretty damn low like well DSL is technologically limited in upload speed as well to the point where when you upload something the entire house loses internet basically
2: yep so hopefully you're not in a situation where you can only have DSL hopefully you can get a little bit more at 0.6 like like Matt said, 10 is perfectly fine. Even 5, like...
0: I know people that, that, that,
2: that are professional Twitch streamers that have 10. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, 10 is perfectly fine. Like, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. You probably... There's not... it the, the differences start to make less sense. So, like, from 10 to 60, you could probably still notice a difference. Uh, It's like, you know, you're uploading files to your OneDrive. It's a little bit faster. You're, you're doing your Git syncs, like, you pu- pushes and pulls. They're a little bit faster. From 60 to like 500, the difference starts to become very like a lot less noticeable. Um, yes, it's still faster but like you're talking you know instead of milliseconds, nanoseconds, stuff like that like it's not
0: you know. you, you'll you'll notice like you'll notice a difference when you do it, but it yeah. you didn't but you wouldn't have pursued it due to a problem. Yeah. like we pursued something greater than DSL because it started becoming a problem. And I used to be a network administrator and I had that network like really, really, really managed to the point where like it was serviceable, but someone who just I'm like just straight up, if they weren't managing that network, total disaster. Like I had all the all the Netflixes managed. They were lower quality, blah, blah, blah. They were bandwidth limiters and this and that. I had a good router and I was managing every device manually because I knew what to do. If if I didn't have that one YouTube video, probably you're screwed. You know, if I use the included DSL, like, router modem combo, probably screwed. You know, chances are. And so, like, there comes a point where, yeah, like, once like, you start getting to the higher things, it is, um, you know, splitting hairs or whatever, but it's just the big jobs. Like, if you download a, a video game, it's a classic one. You download a video game. Video games are just a big job. 60 gigs is not out of the realm. 60 gigs is going to be faster to download and noticeably faster on 250 down versus 60 down. But most things at 60 down are just going to finish in a second. So one thing might finish in a second versus half a second. It's um, like splitting hairs with uh, SSDs. PCIe SSDs or M.2 drives is what they're commonly called are very, very fast and they're faster than SSDs that are SATA. But going from a SATA drive to an M.2 drive is not super noticeable in the everyday. The start menu is going to open instantly. Games are going to load fast. Everything's going to be fine. The thing I just updated or just ordered to update on my Lenovo laptop is actually I'm upgrading from a hard drive to a SATA SSD. And that will still be what I call the miracle drug that works for computers because SSDs are unbelievably faster in any form than their hard drive, their hard drive uh, competitors, if you will. And yes, people could argue, well, you know, you could get a what they used to call maybe it's still around like a velociraptor drive. Yeah, but those things are super fast. They're mechanical and they break all the time. And the reason why I remember Velociraptor Drive is because all I ever did was RMA and replace them. That's all I ever did at work was <laughs> Velociraptor Drives because they were so fast in their RPM. Like it was well over 10,400 RPM. I don't even remember what it was, like 30,000 or something. And every time it was like, we need this drive, we need this drive. And then it's broken.
2: So anyway, a bit of a tangent, but yeah, and that's exactly it. So like, it's, it's just important. To keep that in mind, like when you're going from one scale to another scale of any any tier of equipment, it's gonna start to make less and less n- sense, or like you'll start noticing it less. Like going from a three hundred dollar laptop to a thousand dollar laptop is also gonna be a pretty big jump, but again, from a thousand to two thousand might not be.
0: So hey there, future Matt here, editing Matt. One might even say we realized after we started editing the episode that we missed a section that we wanted to discuss. And that section is about external storage. Now we met we've talked a little bit and we'll probably talk a little bit more in this episode about SSDs and hard drives and all that type of thing. And you might be thinking, well, I don't really need external storage anymore. I have cloud storage, I have uh, you know, big hard drives or big SSDs, whatever, I don't need external storage. But for those of us working professionally, or with, or those of us that archive data or backup data or whatever you may and probably will at some point need external storage. And if you're working in an enterprise environment, it's not completely out of the realm that IT the IT department of where, where you work will prepare you some sort of drive with some portable software on there that you run off of the drive or some data, like a lot of data, let's say like a terabyte of data on like a two terabyte drive. They might give that to you rather than trying to transfer it over the network and or maybe even taking backups, remote backups. It depends on how your IT department works or it depends on how you work. If you have like a ton of media, like you've been you know working on a budget laptop for a while You have 512 gigabytes of storage, like Mike mentioned in the 2015 15 inch MacBook Pro 512 gigabytes of storage. You're on your fifth project and you're like, there's a lot of videos, a lot of pictures, a lot of data I'm getting a lot of documents, which doesn't eat up a lot of space per se, but it's still in there and I'm starting to run out of storage. And of course, the cheapest way in most cases to expand your storage is external storage. But there's a lot of options out there. And there's even what there's even sort of a make your own. So I'm going to kind of go over how I handle my external storage. And then Mike has some talk has some points, excuse me, on Thunderbolt and all those type of things. So let's just lay out a scenario. Let's just say you have A lot of data on that 2015 macbook pro and you're like man i need a place to put this data but i'm not going to touch it a lot it's not it doesn't need to be like the drive doesn't need to be fast the speed really doesn't matter i need to archive some stuff then going to the store and purchasing just an all-in-one pre-built here's an external drive already done for you that's you know multiple terabytes or a couple of terabytes or even one terabyte you put you connect that somewhere usually on a desk and it just sits and lives there. You take the data that you don't use too much that you don't need to bring with you on the go off of your internal SSD, you dump it on the hard drive and now it's safe and it's somewhere else. It's it, You have a backup of it or it's just a a cut and paste because you just wanted to move it there, whatever, but now you have this uh, this other storage and you're able to move that back onto your SSD if you do need the speed down the road, if you do need to have that, if you need to access things quickly there. But many tasks are, you are able to do them from the external drive. Now, one caveat of these pre-built all-in-one, I'm gonna call them drives, these, these, these pre-built uh, enclosures is unfortunately they usually come with a little os on there now that comes with you know the, the the benefit of having a bunch of settings oh my drive can sleep at this these times it'll activate at these times it'll do this it'll do that those things sound great, but oftentimes what happens is they're slow to access because you're waking them up from sleep. So if you're working on a project and you're like, oh shoot, I need to import a quick quick piece of audio. And it's, you know, the last thing because I, because I do this, this is the last thing I'm editing. I need to import the audio for my intro and my outro. I'm not going to transfer that to an SSD, and then import it. I'm just going to quickly import it from my backup drive. Waking up that drive takes a few seconds. And so that can get annoying and that can absolutely slow you down. So what's the alternative? Well, the alternative is you could use an external An external enclosure and just buy the drive yourself now some of these enclosures will also come with you know Sleep functionalities and stuff like that and some won't you have to take a look at what the enclosure kind of has included with it What the enclosure is capable of but what you're doing is you're going to the store and you're just asking for a hard drive So you're asking for you know I need a three and a half inch drive or I need a two and a half inch drive Which is a laptop hard drive you want to ask for one of those and then you can put it in your own enclosure. And so you buy the appropriate enclosure, a two and a half inch or a three and a half inch. And with that, you get to choose what interface it is. So maybe you want a USB-C and you want it at this speed. Maybe you want it to be USB-A. Maybe this one enclosure comes with an adapter. So it has a USB-A cable with a USB-C adapter. You kind of get to combine the two yourself. Then you just go in. And in my case, you go on in Windows, you plug the drive in, you initialize it, you put a partition on it and boom, now you have your own drive there's no additional software that you necessarily need unless the enclosure calls for it there's no additional software you need you're effectively just as raw as possible plugging in a hard drive the benefit of doing it this way sometimes it's cheaper especially if there's a sale on enclosures and or drives now i'm talking a lot about hard drives so what about ssds ssds are important in this space too and ssds can be purchased in the same way you could do the all in one if you will or you could do you know sort of the cheap the or the not, not the cheap method but the, the build-it-yourself method so you could buy a two and a half inch ssd for example it's a sata ssd you find a two and a half inch enclosure that's capable of using capable of, of you know fitting and and, and fitting well because you don't want the drive bouncing around in there fitting an, an ssd well and that's it you can make your own S- external SSD and that's it. But then there's also very popular offerings that Samsung has where they will advertise things like hey if you use our I think it's the T set of T series of drives and maybe it's changed since then, but it's the T series of drives, you know, use these SSDs, these are external SSDs, they come with a bunch of in my, ca- in my case I have one I bought a couple of years ago, it comes with a bunch of different cables, USB C on the actual enclosure but then USB A on the other side or USB C you kind of you get to choose it's extremely fast so it'll more or less max out the USB as far as I know it'll max out the speed and because it's an SSD it's also smaller and more portable so you get to choose here and so you have a lot of different choices and they really should be dictated and i'll like pass it off to mike in a minute but they really should be dictated by your use case like i said you're just dumping data to get it off your ssd and you don't need to access it a lot a cheaper very you know sort of large archive drive hard drive is a great option
2: yeah absolutely i think this is an important discussion but with a little bit of a caveat as well um as web developers i think we're talking generally to the web developer community we don't really need much storage so when you're looking for a laptop and if like for instance a macbook if you're going from 512 to 1 terabyte and it's extra 400 dollars, which is a realistic upgrade amount for you when you're looking at the apple store that 400 dollars could be spent better in ram in my opinion rather than storage because what you can do is macbooks especially work with thunderbolt 4 drives and if you ever do run out of space or you need to work off a off a ssd a thunderbolt 4 ssd is going to run at pretty much native uh speeds of the internal ssd so you're not even going to notice a difference in speed as with your internal drive and they're not that expensive like i I don't know matt if you mentioned or not like the t7s the t9 samsung drives i believe they're thunderbolt but regardless there's a lot of different kinds of thunderbolt enclosures thunderbolt ssd drives all of them obviously have to be not only SSDs, but they have to be PCIe and VME SSDs to be able to reach the speeds that are there. These are top level drives, but they act like internal drives even when you connect them. And again, the caveat here is that you might not even need that if this is a work computer and you're doing web development, what are you really putting on your hard drive that you're gonna need these like, like, you know, crazy amounts of storage in your laptop internally that's gonna cost you hundreds of dollars you're putting, you know, HTML files, JavaScript files, you're putting node mod, the node modules folder, which is like, you know, the, the meme is that it goes to infinity. But realistically, you know, a few, a few tera a few gigabytes is all you really need for that node modules folder, especially if you're using like new technology like PNPM, which makes it share it across all your projects, even less space needed. So like at the end of the day. That's not your number one focus when you're purchasing your machine, because you can get these external drives if you ever get to that situation where you need it. So again, Thunderbolt, that's the top of the line, the fastest storage. USB 4 is the next step down. That's usually around five gigabits per second, which is fast enough for pretty much anything that you're doing in the web development space. But it's not exactly like at the same level as your internal storage. So you might notice a difference when you're working off of it. And then there's like USB 3, which is fairly slow Uh, like you, you will notice a difference if you're working on a USB three drive, depending on what you're doing, obviously, but it's fast enough to like, you know, have your media on there or your backups on there. That's perfectly fine. I would never purchase a USB 2.0 drive in this day and age. Like that's pretty much irrelevant at this point, considering the the pricing of USB three and USB four and Thunderbolt. Like it's just not that expensive right now as we're talking. Like, like we talk about in the episode, there is a situation where, you know, a factory could go blow up and it could d- double the price of storage. But right now it's fairly affordable. Go with always at least USB 3. Ideally 4 and Thunderbolt is where you want to kind of keep your, keep your sights on so that you're getting the best storage. I'm going to have a link to a Thunderbolt 4 or a Thunderbolt 4 and a USB 3 drive that I recommend in the show notes. So go check that out. Again, these are affiliate links, just going to keep reiterating that. But regardless, these are my suggestions. If you're kind of on the fence about which one to buy, I'll have a link there too.
0: It's a really good point with the USB 2 situation, because like USB 2, oftentimes when, when, when we were buying drives in college, because we needed them for different classes, literally separate hard drives for different classes, um, we we were getting USB 2, 2.5 inch hard drives, meaning it was powered by USB, but it was like one USB cable comes out of the external drive and then two. Like it splits off into two USB a to go into the computer. And those those days are pretty well gone with USB three and USB three really is sort of the standard like this three terabyte drive that I'm talking about that I archive my stuff on is just a drive that I bought quite literally almost 10 years ago for like 150 bucks at the time for three terabytes back then. You know, so that now now we're talking like you're going to be able to get some pretty good stuff Like I was able to buy because I have a a media server I was able to buy like six terabyte drives and I think I bought two of them for under I think it was under or around three hundred dollars something like that Certainly not quite four hundred So, you know, it was not and it's not that Like storage, especially hard drives versus ssds and this and that they go on sale And so, you know, just take a look like think about your use case How much how much portability do you need? How much, you know, how much speed do you have? Do you have USB-A, do you have USB-C on the go? Do you need it on the go? Do you have a power bar? Do you want to bring that with you? Just think of all these decisions. Let them kind of fall into place. Go looking, usually during a sale is a good idea, like, you know, like a Black Friday or a Boxing Day or things, something like that. Find something that you're going to like, that the speed's going to be good, that's going to be able to fit everything and go for it. That's, that's usually my recommendation. That's usually when I buy storage is Black Friday. Now talking about leaning into leaning into and like kind of analyzing your situation of course i have been uh trying to cut down on my caffeine intake and i've been taking magic mind now this episode was largely uh largely recorded before christmas and so this sort of use case or this sort of thing i'm going to talk about happened to me right before christmas but right before christmas we got hit mike you remember this we got hit by like for some reason, like a hundred requests, it felt like this person needed this thing. This person needed that. And these are, you. these are I almost said USB clients. These are web development clients that we haven't heard from sometimes in years. This person needs that thing. This person needs PDFs. That person needs a, a quote. This other person doesn't realize that I worked on their site seven years ago. And that, that means that I'm not going to do something for free because something broke or, you know, something like that. I haven't talked to them in seven years and they've had another web developer in there and they thought I was just going to work for free. And so we're dealing with not only, you know, sort of like social professional situations, but also a lot of just a bunch of stuff plus the holiday seasons there. And so, of course, I'm going to start leaning toward my old ways of I'm going to drink a bunch of coffee to stay awake and do all this. I'm going to lead a bunch of coffee. But I did not do that the week leading up to Christmas. I said, OK, I can either get a bunch of crap done this week, or I could work all the way through Christmas, through New Year's, because usually I take the week off or do light duty the week between Christmas and New Year's. So I'm thinking to myself, let's just get it done. So I start popping Magic Mind, I start drinking Magic Mind once a day with my one coffee or my two coffees, excuse me, in the morning, two coffees in the morning with my Magic Mind, still not on that third coffee, oftentimes not drinking another coffee at all during the day, was just dead focused and just got a bunch of stuff done. And what I find is when I do take magic mind, me personally, what I like, well, I don't like to do this, but what I naturally do is when a new task comes in that I don't understand or an email comes in that I don't expect, my anxiety levels go to a peak. I read it and then I figure out the situation and I calm down. That's just sort of how I deal with it. What I found with this was since there was so many things coming in, I was just freaking out. I was taking a bit of magic mind. I was just more focused. Look at it. Okay. What does this person need? They need a quote. Okay. Let's schedule it. Okay. This person's going to be after. And I just, I just ripped through tasks. I think Mike, I think, I don't know if you you remember, but I texted you at some point at like four in the morning and was like, this is done. This is done. This is done. This is done. Here's the link for this. Cause you needed something. Please share this. This is going up. Please revise this. I'm going to bed or I need to lay down or something like that. And so magic mind helped me get through all of these, you know, crazy things and I'm noticing that I'm not as anxious as well. So I think it's a combination of using the magic mind, but also not having the coffee. I'm finding that as I've reduced that coffee, that little things that would bother me, like something like, you know, oh shoot, like I, I'm just making this up. I scratched my car door last night, oh no, you know. That would bother me a little bit, but I'd kind of move on. But then in the morning, if I start drinking coffee and I hit that third or fourth coffee in the morning, I'd start to panic and be like, oh my God, like I scratched my car door this morning, like the last night. Like, what am I going to do? But and then, so it would just sort of like bring these things up and make me freak out and, you know, absolutely go nuts and become a perfectionist and go really nuts. So, you know, I'm thinking that Magic Mind's helping me sort of through this helping me focus. I'm lowering my coffee intake and it's really helping me. And one of the things that is, I believe, helping me lower my coffee intake, there's one of the ingredients that's really popular these days. I see it at the Starbee's as the kids would call it, Starbucks, and that is matcha. So matcha contains way less caffeine than coffee and also contains additional compounds um, that extend the the benefits of caffeine um, by slowing your body's ability to absorb it. So this is gonna help me, you know, reduce stress, or this can help me reduce stress. It's obviously helping me with my whole caffeine situation, as I've mentioned. And so once again, if anyone in my family ever asks, you know, hey, I need to cut down on coffee, like I'm just getting jittery, I'm starting to panic all the time, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, I would absolutely, you know, recommend that they give Magic Mind a try and see if this would help them out. And if you would like to talk, you'd like to talk about Magic Mind? I mean, I guess you can, but if you would like to purchase or try Magic Mind yourself you can get one month for free. This is a January 2024 special. This is a, this is a big deal. You get one month for free when you're subscribing for three months at our link, magicmind.com slash JNHTML. That link will of course be in the show notes. And also with my code, html 20 you can get up to 75% off your order. So you get one month for free when you're subscribing for three months at the link. Use my code to make sure the whole deal gets processed. And if you're like, shoot, you know, it's March and now I'm just listening to you say this and the January promotion's over, it's okay. Our code HTML20 is valid for up to 20% off one-time
2: purchases. Um, Next thing here is the moderate tier, right? So we just went over low tier. That's all you really need to be to get started. That's all you really need to be a successful web developer, uh, to get started as as a successful web developer. And even like build your business or start working with clients. Like you don't need much more than that. But if you're starting to make a little bit of money, you're starting to understand the limitations of the equipment that you have, uh maybe it's time for you to upgrade. Or maybe you're starting off at a better point than some people. Like Hey, I, you know, I can afford 1500 Like I work a full time at this job. Maybe I can afford a little bit more money. And that's where the moderate tier kind of comes into play. $1,500, $2,000 in that range. And here it's similar. So again, you're talking about a laptop, maybe a desktop, depending on how you prefer to work. Like some people, I know that they don't like to take their computer with them they have a dedicated space in their home that's where they want to sit down and work so a desktop in that scenario might make sense Mm -hmm. like maybe you'll get a mac mini right like something that's fairly affordable you have your own screen uh and it can do everything that you need really clean small little machine or maybe you'll get like a a gaming desktop or something like that right like it could be a multi-purpose device even an idea center from lenovo those are the desktops exactly like there's plenty of little like pre-built desktops there's plenty of different there's a bunch of different options in the desktop department i still lean towards laptops in this tier i still lean towards recommending a laptop because again it gives you that flexibility to take your computer go somewhere uh or like just be being able to have a dedicated space at home great but if you're at you know on not on the bus on the bus like coding on the bus is kind of ridiculous but if you're going to to a friend's house, maybe you're gaming with a friend, having a dedicated laptop for that, and that can also, you know, be your work laptop is a great kind of middle ground as well. So
0: yeah, doing doing these upgrades mm-hmm. is like when you mentioned that is is a largely about conveniences that you yeah. are doing without. So if you're like, man, I do game, but I have to bring my console or I have to bring my desktop, let's say I have a separate one. And you're like, you know, it's time to consolidate the machines. It would be more convenient, you know, buying a a mid-tier gaming laptop with lots of storage would allow you to bring your work around, but also allow you to bring your, your, your gaming machine around. And that would be a huge thing. And like, that's why I ended up actually buying my original Lenovo laptop is because uh, I used to like go to like LAN parties and hang out with people and stuff. And like, I did that for a few years with it and then COVID hit, of course, but. That was the reason, and I thought it's it, it it would expect at a desktop replacement where if my big desktop at the time were to break down, I wasn't going to repair it again. It last it ended up lasting like five more years, and it's still working. It's in the other room, but um, then I'm just going to dock this laptop, and that's going to be my convenience, right? Like I've upgraded at that point to mid tier. Now I'm at the point where it's like something's like a laptop, something's like a desktop. So like that would be the next tier up which would be the max where it's like I've slowly built up enough money and like equipment that I'm able to go to that. So like these jumping in tiers is is about, you know, as much as it is the the amount you have, but it's also about the amount you're inconvenienced. If you're totally fine and have literally no problems with your 2015 MacBook, don't feel pressured to just upgrade your setup because either someone told you to or because you're like, "Oh, I should go spend that money." Like you could just save that money and then you know, have it later for when the laptop dies, then you could upgrade to moderate. So it just depends on how inconvenienced you are. If you're a weekend coder, I mean, a 2015 MacBook, maybe you're like, sometimes you're like, man, sometimes the Git, my Git push or whatever is a little bit slow, but I do that once a week. It's like, how really inconvenient is that? Is that, you know, another thousand worth of inconvenience? Probably not. So like, I just want to be clear with these, with these, like, you know, these jumps in tears is that if you do get better, at your, uh, if you end up in a better financial place, it doesn't mean that you
2: have to upgrade your stuff. That's absolutely the case. Yeah. And <clears throat> like, yeah, it's all about how you feel and, and the limitations. Usually how this works is, again, you start to understand what you need when you start using something. Right. Like you, you don't know what you need until you until you actually like start using a lower tier or something. And that's the unfortunate reality with people just jumping into web development that maybe maybe they don't have a lot of money to spend, but they think they need to spend it. And they go out and purchase like a $3,000 MacBook because that's what every influencer online is doing is like all the influencers online are using $3,000 MacBooks to like program their HTML sites. So now they're like, well, that's a requirement because that's all I'm seeing. And that's definitely not the case. Like, it's we, we've talked about it extensively in this episode and in previous episodes where, like, you don't need a $3,000 computer to be able to push a bunch of divs around on a page or code up an entire backend infrastructure or do anything related to web development other than, I guess, the caveat here now is, like, if you're going to spin up your own LLM uh, like large language model in, a, in the AI space. And that's becoming a little bit more popular nowadays because there's a lot of open source ones. Um, that's a totally different tier. That's You're no longer looking at like, you know, a $400 laptop or even a $1,500 laptop. You're you're talking a dedicated machine for LLMs, like your, you know, $5,000 desktop with a r- r- ridiculously expensive graphics card. Um, but again, we'll talk about that a little bit in the max tier. And in the, in the moderate tier... The laptops that I kind of recommend are probably like a MacBook Air, uh, the M1 Air. If you can get a sixteen gigabyte version, it refurbished from the Apple Store for anywhere between a thousand to eleven $1, hundred dollars US, that's a good price. You can get away with eight gigs on a MacBook in when when it's an M1 or an M2. Uh, the reason because they use a different kind of memory. It's called unified storage, and they are better at using the SSD as cache. I I still hesitate to recommend eight gigs uh, at any tier, just because even though they are better, you'll start to really notice the limitations as you start using bigger Webpack, like bigger bundlers, bigger uh, install, like bigger npm installations. Like as soon as you start pushing that machine with like a bunch of tabs and then your entire development environment that ram deficiency like 8 gigs is you're going to notice it. You're still going to be able to do everything you need on it, but it's going to be start to become noticeable and a better a better investment for you is just to go that next route like the the next tier up which is the 16 gigabytes. The unfortunate reality is with MacBooks they're like le- like their upgrade pricing is just out to lunch still. Like, their entry-level prices are actually decent in terms of value performance comparison. Like, their entry-level notebooks, both on their Pro side and their uh, Air, like the more budget-friendly afford- like friendly ones, they're decent. Like, you can get a MacBook, a refurbished 8 gigabyte M1 MacBook Air for just over $600, $700 US. And those things will rip. Like, the super quick, really nice screens, nice and thin, nice and light. The 13 inches, so it's a little bit small, but... We'll talk about, like, expanding that in a second, but, like, though it'll rip, but they're going to be limited at, I think, 256 gigabytes of storage and one 8 gigabytes of RAM, which is, like, mmm, it's tough for me to recommend that.
0: The, the 8 gigabytes is, is rough because, like, I have an old, like, Samsung tablet which I haven't used in a long time, and it's, like, a Windows tablet, and it came with 4 gigs of RAM, and it was even, back then, it was, like, I had to keep it to one or two tabs. yeah. And like that was running Windows Pro and blah, blah, blah. And everything else ran perfectly fine. But when you tried to multitask, it was a serious problem. I will also say that my 12 year old desktop had 16 gigabytes of RAM.
2: That's what I mean. There's no excuse.
0: Well, the one thing with that is that just that first of all, Windows kind of runs like a pig. So let's just say that. So Windows Windows likes RAM. Okay, so that's one thing. And I was obviously running Windows and still am. But the other thing is that um, when it comes to when hardware becomes what I call mundane, so when, like, 16 gigs is, is, has been around for a while, it's more or less affordable in, in the market, uh, and a lot of people have it, programs rise to it. So that's why when you, like, upgrade your, like, iPad, or you upgrade, like, your tablet, or you upgrade your Windows, and your computer starts to perform worse, it's because the manufacturers, the developers, are assuming, like, oh, the new standard is 16 gig, and that transition happens relatively slowly, but it does slowly happen. And even app developers, if like on a Mac or a, on an iPad or whatever, they start to realize, they start to think like, oh, you have, you know, not the 7th gen, you have the ninth gen or the 8th gen or whatever. So the 8th gen is the lowest, that's what we'll shoot for, but it will run on 7th gen. And then you start having those performance discrepancies where it's like, why does this feel so slow? And it's because those resources are being gobbled up just by the programs running. And yes, they could run more efficiently, but because it's at the developer's disposal in most cases, they're not going to make like, spend all that time and money making things like super, super efficient for those that are at the bottom tier of performance. for Those pieces of hardware that are at the bottom tier of performance. So it's just... Something I wanted to mention to keep in mind, because like I always get bit in the ass for that, because I always try to keep things until they break. And I also baby my stuff. So like things get very, you know, like things last a long time, generally. Um, Not always the case as, you know, anything can break, but generally things will last a very long time. And that's usually what bites me is that my performance is just so low That it's just, it's like, man, like, what am I doing? And I keep trying to, like, you know, polish it, polish it, polish it, try to, like, make my experience so, you know, do everything I can on my end. But at the end of the day, it's like, Edge is going to want more RAM. This game is going to want more RAM. This webpack, compiler, blah, 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 GitHub, this process, that service, whatever, you know, list goes on. It needs more RAM. And so... Not, and, and it's not just about RAM. It's about CPU. It's about everything. Obviously, we're talking about RAM right now, but it is something where, you know, make yourself as efficient as you can. But unfortunately, there is there does come a time where even someone like me has to do an upgrade and like my computer was first. Now it's my la- now it's my desktop. So, or now it's
2: my uh, monitor, excuse me. So it's just one of those things. And like, yeah, again, your mileage may vary. You might be able to get away with eight gigabytes of RAM. That's why I'm not like st- saying steer away from it on an M1 machine. I want to be clear on a Windows machine. Eight gigabytes is not enough, period. Like I, w- I was recommending 16 in the low tier. I'm obviously recommending 16 in the mid tier on a Windows machine. And I was recommending 16 on a MacBook in the low tier as well. Uh, just to be clear, that's because they were using Intel processors. And they were having a they they had a similar RAM usage to like a, a regular Windows machine as well. So again, eight gigabytes might be enough on an M1 machine, but if you can afford it, if you can make that jump, and it's usually again a pretty significant jump in price, like maybe three hundred dollars USD just to up- upgrade from eight to three to sixteen gigs, a ludicrous amount of money. Uh, it's it might be worth it for you to go there if you're going the Mac route here. Okay, so the reasons you would go the Mac route here are the same ones that I outlined above, Uh, like before, like you want to have all the entire ecosystem to be able to test on. You're more of a Mac fan, whatever it is. Also, with the M1 Air versus the other recommendations I'm going to make, you're going to have the portability, right? Like the M1 Air is super thin. It has, you know, up to 10 hours, 12 hours of battery life. You're going to have like the full on experience of like, I don't care about battery it doesn't feel like anything in my backpack. So if you're, if you're a person that likes to work from all the different places around, this is probably the one you want to go with, or if you travel a lot. Um, But if you're more, you know, I just want to take my laptop when I go gaming with a friend to a friend's house, or I go to school and I don't really care about a heavy backpack, which kind of, that's how I was back in the school days. Um, Then maybe you want to go the gaming tier route, right? Like, so Matt was mentioning the convenience factor. It it is really nice to have a dual functioning computer, uh, not just you know a programming machine. If you're going the gaming route, and you're 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 obviously going to be looking at Windows at that point because that's still the dominating gaming system. Uh, you're going to be looking for kind of minimum specs. I'll just m- mention right now. Again, 16 gigs of RAM. You're looking for i5, i7 processor. Uh, newer. You don't. You usually don't want to buy used machines in this category. Just because gaming advances pretty quickly, so like a seven-year-old gaming laptop probably won't be able to play any new games pretty much at all. Um, A couple-year-old gaming laptop might, but then you're sacrificing the warranty. You're sacrificing some other stuff, and it's just and it's also going to be pretty expensive. Like so, like a two-year-old, two-year-old used machine, it becomes a little bit complicated. So I still recommend uh, that you go new in this tier. For a gaming laptop, Lenovo has some good. Lenovo Legion has some good options. Again, if you're going Lenovo, you want to definitely wait for a good sale. They usually have crazy sales. You can get something in the twelve hundred dollar, thousand dollar range that's going to perform really well and be a decent, uh, like be a decent build quality and stuff like that. Um, I'll link some of these in the description, some of these in the show notes. So make sure if you're on the fence, you don't know what to look for. I'm going to give my recommendations in the show notes. You can check them out. They will probably be affiliate links to a certain degree. Some of them might not be just because we're not in every affiliate program. I'm just going to find the best the best uh, options out there for you right now in 2024, as of January 2024. If you're listening to this episode four years later, you might want to skip the, the, uh, the recommendations for the laptops in particular.
0: Well, the thing, the thing with that too, in in terms of this type of stuff is like that we've done a couple of these gear guides and you do need to upgrade. Like it's, you know, like we were talking about me upgrading, you've, you've talked about you, you upgrading. And so like, these are one of our more or less few, very time sensitive episodes, I guess you could say. Yeah. We're like, this information is going to be valid for like a year ish from launch. And then it'll, then, you know, things might drastically change. like, Five years ago, M. Two drives, maybe they were around, but they weren't around. You know what I mean? Like it was rare that you had it. And then and so like like for me right now, my new computer, I have two M.2 drives. Like I would never have ever have assumed that in the past. And I did that because I didn't want any SATA cables. Five years ago I'd be like, What the fuck are you talking about? Like you need SATA cables. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like it's just it it's just things do change. But some things will remain valid. Like I said, SATA SSDs are still fine, but these are time-sensitive episodes to an extent.
2: Yeah. And, th- and, and, and another reason why I'm talking more like specs in general rather than devices is because I think the specs will remain relevant for longer than the devices. Sure.
0: Yeah. Like 1080p has been around for a long time.
2: Yeah. And 16 gigabytes of RAM is still probably going to be enough at an entry level for yep. a little while longer and stuff like that. So it's that kind of stuff, that kind of information is still useful to have, even if you're listening to this next year or the year after uh, from a min, from a minimum perspective. And just to get an idea of what you're looking for, if you're like searching on Amazon, you're like, I don't know if I should go 8 or 16 and stuff like that, because that's going to be the biggest decision factor. A lot of times is when you're looking on Amazon or Best Buy or Newegg, whatever place you're looking for a new computer, a lot of times the things that will pop up first are going to be kind of like the best matches or the best deals. And most of the best deals, and I say most because it's not all of them, but they're going to have the 8 gigabytes of RAM. For whatever reason, that's still part of the cheaper and like the lower end laptops and some even higher end laptops like thin and light laptops will start with eight gigabytes of ram as well on the windows side and i'm just i'm very adamant about you skipping that tier period
0: well the thing the, the thing is yeah. that they they often give you still
2: hard drives too like it's one yeah. that's why i
0: keep that's what you talk about the ssds that, that's going away it's going away like for,
2: for even for entry level like that's going away. like a 300 laptop now like an entry level hp like it, you know what it'll do now? Instead of uh, uh, hard drives, they'll go EMMC. Ah, so like EMMC. Like, it's bad. It's like uh, graduated SD card. Yeah, it's essentially an SD card with like USB 3.0 speeds. Like it's not going to be a great experience. It's going to be better than a hard drive. Yeah, yeah. But like barely. That's <laughs> like, like the entry st- level. Well, the formerly entry level Steam Deck. Yeah. Before the OLEDs. Before the OLEDs, yeah. And then, like, for the Steam Deck, it's fine. Like, again, reading off of a uh, EMMC drive for, like, content, just like reading EMMC drive for, like, videos, like or, like, a hard drive for videos and games, it's mostly fine. Like, there's not that big of a difference um, for content. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as you start doing any sort of actual work on it, it becomes, like, a pain. Uh, or modern so, yeah. games, which, of course, the... The Steam Deck does, does play. so <laughs> Yeah, like C- Chromebooks and stuff. A lot of Chromebooks, especially in the entry level, will have EMMC drives. Avoid that. Avoid that if you can. Like, Chromebooks in general are not great for developers trying to get into development. Like they're just, you can make it work because it is Linux and there are some like hacks that you can do to get VS Code running I've seen before. But like, why do you want to do that to yourself when you can just get something a little, like even in the same price point? That will run Windows or Linux, like straight Linux on it and have better hardware. I just it doesn't make sense for for what we're talking about right now. If you're a general consumer that just needs to check your email and browse the web Chromebook all day, it's fine. But, you
0: know, you know, what's crazy is I'm kind of surprised that streaming hasn't entered this conversation, because like I said, we've done a few of these episodes and like yeah, you could stream stuff. I understand that. But like. I'm just surprised that streaming hasn't gone further. It's like streaming seems to be very service-based. Like, hey, get all your games on our service. Get all your movies on our service. But it it isn't really app-based yet. Like, I guess you could... I forget what they call it. Call, like, Windows 1 or something? Where you can... stream. Have you ever heard of that, Mike? Where you can, like, purchase a clouded Windows and you can yeah. stream... Like, you could do that and then you're already peeing. But then it... I don't know. It just starts getting a bit... Like, it's like... Now you're just renting a machine in the cloud and then you have a cheap machine at home and then you stream to it. And that's really great for some things. But then you take a look and it's like, well, it's two to three hundred US dollars for an entry level and I could run it locally. So why wouldn't I do that? And then, it, you know, like we're starting to split hairs here a
2: little bit. Yeah. And I think it's actually taken a step back. Like before, you know, a couple of years ago, I might have even talked about it in this episode where like. Services like Code Sandbox, and there's a like a few other ones that offer like streaming IDEs specifically, like being able to code in the in the cloud, um, and then you could do it from any machine pretty much, and you you can have like a hundred dollar machine and do it. But like the requirement of first of all paying for a subscription usually, or being able to set up your development environment up in the web, like connecting to a local device, it, it's all janky. It's all still janky, and it's not perfect in any way, shape, or form. 100 percent doable. People yep. do it. Yep. Like company, even companies are like, screw buying laptop like expensive laptops. We'll buy a subscription to Code Sandbox or whatever other service. Yep. And all of our developers will have the exact same development environments. I can tell you from people that I've talked to that have for, A, worked at these companies before, not Code Sandbox, another company I'm not going to mention. And B telling from people that have worked at companies that have decided to go the remote development route before that. It's mostly been a gong show, uh, in the sense that you're just losing productivity across the board all the time, because as soon as a server's down, whether it's your internet or the server that you're connecting to, you lose that productivity. That's it. Person can't work anymore. Done. As soon as there's a there's an issue with connecting to something, so maybe you're at a open connection, or maybe you're using a VPN by accident, whatever. Now your IT department is getting involved every time someone needs to type a line of code into their editor. Like it's just the complexity gets go, goes up and up and up. So again, when you're entering the market, when you're learning web development, you try to avoid complexity. You try to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success. Going the remote, like the, the cloud route for development is automatically setting yourself up for failure, in my opinion. Like don't go that route. Don't buy a super cheap Chromebook. Just be able to... Just to be able to connect to it with Code Sandbox or something like that. It's not the right decision, in my opinion.
0: There, come, there comes a time where you have to invest in it. Like, if you're gonna see web development in your future, as a side gig or a full gig, I mean, there yeah. comes a point where you do have to invest and you can invest, you know, intelligently buying exactly. used, buying older, buying during Black Friday sales or some other big sale event. Those are the ways to buy smart. But there does come a point where it's like, yeah, but I'll just buy the cheapest of the cheapest of the cheapest of the cheapest. And then it's like, well, are you really going to replace this thing every year? Are you really going to deal with all the the drawbacks? Like it's a real pain in the ass. Um, yeah. Well, one thing I do want to say is it's not Windows One; it's called Windows three six five. If you do want to stream a Windows machine, Windows three six five, okay. <laughs> Windows three six five, which is, of course, it is. Uh, why isn't it called the Xbox three six five? Anyway, moving on with from moving on from there, and then the OneDrive, and it was the Xbox One. So why isn't it Windows One? Anyway, moving on with that. Uh, speaking of, speaking to Mike's thing about you know RAM and all that type of thing. Uh, This is localized pricing, so this is Canadian dollars, what I'm about to say right now. So it is $47.50 Canadian for their basic package, which is a 2V 2V CPU, which is a virtualized CPU. Yep. Uh, it is a four, it is four gig of RAM and 128 gigabyte of storage. Boy. You can access and manage the cloud PC through Windows 365, the website, whatever. There's a URL there. Supports the desktop versions of Microsoft 365 apps like Outlook and OneDrive. Supports the desktop version of Microsoft Teams for chat and audio calls. And you can have up to 300 users. I'd like to say, who has 300 users with 128 gigabytes of storage and four gigabytes of RAM? And so you can upgrade to the next tier, which is $62.90 Canadian per user per month, okay? It says here that you can run a full range of productivity tools and line of business apps, whereas the previous one was run light productivity tools and web browsers also a 2v cpu again 8 gig ram but here's the thing 128 gigabyte of storage still and that yeah. that holds true for the third tier which is at 101 101 dollars 20 canadian per user per month i won't get into all the details that does upgrade the ram though and the cpu 4v cpu and 16 gig ram
2: yeah no it's a terrible like, this is, may, there is a use case for it i'm sure but it's not what we're talking about today. Like yeah,
0: I know yeah. I know what the use yeah. case is. The use case is is that if you if you need your machine to be in America and you do not live in America, you can then stream over to it. And sure. that yeah. and that makes sense because sometimes your FTP is really sketchy. And you can't upload files to the thing. So if your host is in America and it'd be easier for you to, quote unquote, be in America and you have good Internet connection where you are, you could stream a machine down. And this is their business pricing. There is also enterprise pricing, if anyone cares. And there's also one month free trial for the standard version, which is the middle tier. So
2: have at her if you're interested. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> uh, OK, so moving on. Uh In the moderate tier, you know, you get your laptop, you get your your MacBook, you get your Windows laptop, you get a desktop, whatever. You know the minimum specs. You're looking for 16 gigs. You're looking for at least 512. You're looking for a newer computer at this point. Refurbished is the worst. Like you're not looking for used. You're looking for refurbished or new. With a gaming laptop, you're looking for a dedicated graphics card. Make sure that you have it. All of that. I'm going to give my recommendations, a list of them inside the show notes. So go to the show notes if you're looking for it. The other thing that I would say a good upgrade would be for you in this tier is probably going to be a monitor. So obviously, if you get a desktop, you're going to need a monitor. That's no matter what. But if even if you have a laptop, laptops usually max out at let's say sixteen inches, fifteen inches, maybe seventeen inches. But those are really really chunky. You probably won't be looking at those too often. Um, but regardless, you're getting a you're getting a screen size of in that range. That is okay to start off with. Like you can, you know, focus on one screen at a time, limit the amount of lines of code that you have, you know, swap between screens, learn some gestures, et cetera, et cetera. Learn some shortcuts. That's fine. But to to upgrade your productivity, a, a second screen or just a bigger screen in general is going to help. So whether it's 24 inches or 27 inches. You're going to be looking for a screen. They're not very expensive. Like if you're if you're on the lower end of mid-tier, a 24-inch 1080p screen, 60, 60 hertz, you're you're looking at the $100 range, $100 USD range. Not a crazy investment, but it could be a really good, uh, you know, a, a very good productivity boost because you have way more screen real estate. You have way more you're looking at, much bigger, easier to look at. You can look at it for longer. Um, if you're going the extended route, so like let's say you, you want to use your laptop and just hook it in and still use your laptop as a screen. Now you have two screens. So that's a great option. Sometimes like you'll you'll have your screen a little bit higher than your laptop on your desk open so that you have like the, the screen on the bottom and the screen above it. That's a, a, I've, I've tried that setup. It works really, really well. Um, really easy to connect and disconnect. Stuff like that. So that's one option. If you're going a little bit of a higher end, of the moderate route, 27 inches, you're looking at probably a 1440p screen in this in this size. Like there are 1080p, 27 inch screens, but I would recommend stepping up the resolution. Uh, a, you know, a cheaper version of this screen from LG or from a, 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 a budget brand like AOC or Gigabyte, you might be looking at like 250 to 350 US. Okay, that's a like a cheaper version probably a VA panel at that point, not an IPS panel. And I'll explain that in a second too. So like the, the display technologies, there's kind of four main ones that you need to worry about TN. That's the kind of the cheapest panel. Uh, It has really severe issues where if you look at it from the side, like even just tilting your head a tiny bit will cause the colors to shift drastically. Okay. It has some, it has some uh, issues I believe with, brightness although i'm not 100 sure on the brightness side anyway i
0: I have a tn panel i would and and it was the good panel back in the day like three four years ago it was the panel to get because i think isn't va worse or no va is better than tn TN was good then i don't know what the bad one was then i don't even know what i don't know what's
2: worse than tn honestly
0: unless tn was just because that was fit in my budget anyway i got a tn panel and i aimed for tn for some reason this monitor is really good it does have some weird problems. I am using HDMI, not DisplayPort. I want to be clear on that. Um, so it does change some things. It does have a little bit of a weird color shift. There, that, mm-hmm. that, that That's for sure. It does have weirdness where some like when something is black on the screen, it's really, really deep. But for some reason, in full media, like in a movie or uh, a game, mm, for some yes. reason, it's really washed out. But yet yes. it's capable of showing deep blacks. So I don't really know yeah. why there's like this washed out almost like someone has a flashlight. Like an extra flashlight in the room. It's really kind of weird. It's not bad. Like I really like this monitor. I'm keeping it around. Uh, like whatever. But like I, I,
2: I don't know. <laughs> it. Yeah. TN. Typically, you want to avoid TN. Uh, I believe it's not really good for text for, for text as well. Again. Okay. So TN's lowest lowest end. The next step up would be something a VA panel. So VA is somewhere in between. It has some of the limitations. It still has a little bit of color shifting. Right. But now it has better contrast. So it has better black levels than what Matt's mentioning. So the the TN panels have this typical really like grayish black when you're looking at like a video. And I don't know what that is. I don't know why it's like that, but it's very like it's very distracting. It's very distracting when you're playing a game or looking at video. VA has a much better black level reproduction. It still, I think, has some ghosting issues. It still has the color shift issue to a certain degree. It's a little bit better, but this is a perfectly fine panel. VA is perfectly fine. Right, like this is where you should be aiming in this moderate range VA panels. There's plenty of them out there for both 24 inch and 1440p. They're fairly cheap, fairly standard. The next tier up, and this is more for the higher tier or if you can get a good sale, is IPS. And I would say, like, for most developers, if you're really looking for development, this is your panel. IPS has very, very good text reproduction, and that's really the the main thing that you're looking for. Like, so text clarity is really important and that's what ips does perfectly well and it has some issues with i believe latency so like for gaming you need to get a really good ips panel and it'll be fine but if you get a really bad ips panel in gaming there is going to be some latency issues where like a latency essentially if you press forward on a controller what happens on your screen takes like a certain amount of time right So if a bad latency panel pressing forward on your controller, you'll slightly notice that it doesn't immediately translate to something going forward on the screen. Okay, now this is we're talking milliseconds or nanoseconds, whatever, like it's very, very slight. You need to be really tuned in. You need to be in the competitive gaming sphere to notice this stuff. But regardless, it's there, so. If you're into gaming, don't get a cheap IPS panel, get a better IPS panel. It's better to get a VA, a, a decent VA panel than a cheap IPS. If you're doing the multi-purpose route.
0: Well, the thing with it too, like I just bought a monitor and I bought an IPS and I bought a, specifically a gaming one because it has the one millisecond, whatever, yes, but correct. because it was boxing day, I got it for cheaper or like the same price as like a cheaper IPS. So it's actually like more efficient to get the gaming model. I mentioned that just because maybe that's the route you'll go and you're like, man, I should get a gaming panel. Still look at the specs though, because there are cheap (laughs) things that are just like, this is gaming because it has red on the back, but it's still going to be like pretty bad you know (laughs) and they just try to sell it up so just like do check the specs but gaming is sort of the way i usually go with stuff because usually like i've had this even we've even had this discussion with our accountant where they'll go like oh you bought like a gaming laptop for work why is that and i'm like the gaming laptop has better specs it's going to last longer for productivity tasks because it has better specs and it is cheaper than a macbook so i'm literally saving actual business expense quite literally. And I'm gaming on it barely because I usually use Xbox and PlayStation. So, you know, it's just it is. So sometimes gaming is the way to go because they want the gamers to buy that stuff. So you're getting something that looks nice, is built well and is usually all in one nice package and they mass produce it. So it's cheaper. And that's why I usually
2: go for that stuff. Yeah. The biggest thing with productivity versus gaming related items like monitors, especially as productivity monitors will have usually lower FPS, like lower Hertz. So like a typical productivity monitor will be 60 to 100 Hertz. A typical gaming monitor will be 120 to 144. So that's gonna be a, a, a like a difference. And the productivity monitor won't look gaming. So it'll have like a gray, instead of like a black and red, it'll be gray. And a lot of times, yeah, if you're getting a productivity IPS, that's where you're gonna be getting a hurt on the latency, right? Like Like Matt said, even gaming IPS panels can be bad. You have to do your own research. But usually like they'll save the shittier IPS panels, the lower the higher latency IPS panels for productivity monitors. because on the productivity side, all of a sudden they're adding other things, like power output from their USB ports, uh, a KVM switch, a hub. Like they're adding a bunch of stuff that gamers usually don't care about as much. They're adding it for productivity people, but they're taking away stuff that gamers do care about and productivity people don't. So be careful with that. Like it, it is a give and take usually. Unless you're talking high, high, high end, then you can have both like high end, a high end gaming laptop can have all these productivity features built into it as well. And a high end productivity, uh, sorry, not laptop monitor can have all these gaming features built in. So that, that's where I'm saying, but medium, like the mid tier is where you have to be careful. The last thing here uh, is I would get a good pair of headphones, something that can be Very comfortably sit on your ears because you're going to probably be listening to some background noise, some music, something like that. Um, I I hesitate to recommend noise cancelling headphones versus open ear headphones here. It depends on your situation. If you have your own room and you don't have to worry about bothering someone, open ear headphones could be better for you because they usually let in air in and out a lot easier so your your ears don't get as sweaty. And the other thing is like, if someone's calling you from the other room and you need to be aware of that, you'll be able to hear them a lot easier because there's open ear there. There's give and take. So if you're in a situation where it's very loud, maybe you're again, you're living in a home with like 15 of your relatives and you need to get into focus mode. That's where you need to go. The noise canceling headphone route, because open ears, first of all, will leak audio. So everyone around you will be able to hear what you're listening to. And second of all, Anything that they're doing, you'll be able to hear as well. So all depends on your situation. But a good pair of headphones, something like a Sennheiser 555 or something like that in that realm. I'll have some link below or in the the show notes will be a good investment for you at this point.
0: And I'm a little bit different than Mike. So I used to do on-ear because my ears would get super hot. So I used to do on-ear. And now I'm over-ear, but I've switched brands. So I used to be, well, no, I guess even on, on ear, I, I've basically always been all steel series. I use steel series for listening on my phone and blah, 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 with the exception of earbuds. And if you are a person that doesn't like things on you and you would prefer just to have earbuds, cause you can easily throw that in a bag with a laptop and portability, of course, um, then, you know, AKGs are good. They're a little more expensive, but AKG earbuds are the ones that actually came with my Samsung Galaxy S8 and I'm still using them. I have them on right now. So just like if you're just if you're looking for that still series also offers one that has uh, a boom mic out of a out of uh, earbuds. So if you want to try those, those are good, too. And uh, also any of the buds out there. So or I guess it's not earbuds, it's AirPods. So things like the AirPods, if you're into Mac or the Galaxy buds are good as well. And there's a bunch of options there. If you enter that, some of them have active noise canceling, some don't. Some have ambient sounds some don't whatever so go check those out i would say but i have those for my phone the galaxy buds um for portability in that
2: yeah exactly it all again portability is a big portion of it like if usually you want to have like one set for home and then one set for portability like if you're going to get use buds somewhere else that's usually what i do but if you need to buy one maybe you know the all-in-one buds like some sort of airpods or galaxy buds are the way to go Depending on what what ecosystem you're in or what you prefer, like it 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 really depends. Um, all right, that's the mid tier. Let's talk max tier. Uh, we've talked already for over an hour, so we probably won't go too too far into this. But um, I do wa- I do want to kind of mention it because this I think Matt and I are both in this tier now again after many years of building up up our arsenals as you would say or setups. Uh, and so right now the top tier for me would be probably like a top-tier MacBook Pro, right? There's 14-inch, 16-inch MacBook Pros. M3 is the current generation, so you're probably going to go M3. You're probably going to want to upgrade the RAM from 16 to 32 at this point, and the hard drive from 512 to 1 terabyte. So this is this is quickly becoming a at least a $3,000 laptop. Just want to make that clear. This is not cheap. This is not affordable in any way, shape, or form. This is not required, again. Not required to be a developer, but this is a nice, a really nice to have because the build quality on these things, the speed on these things, the battery life on these top notch, right? Like my, my MacBook pro it's an M1 pro 14 inch. I'm off the battery for like, I'm off the wall for eight, nine hours. It performs exactly the same on battery as it does off off the wall, which is a really nice feature of MacBooks, And it's fast. Like it's stupidly fast. It's, it's a very, very good processor. what they what they've done with the Apple silicon, which is their own processors that they've created in-house, is nothing short of amazing. Like it, it's literally like a next generation step. and I think Intel and AMD are both trying to match it now in terms of power efficiency, portability and like what they were able to achieve as a, compared to their other process the, the other competitors. I'm not saying that Intel and AMD have worse products. In, but in terms of efficiency, power efficiency specifically, MacBooks usually are number one right now, right? Like performance, if you go balls to the wall on Intel or balls to the wall on App on uh, AMD, you're going to have a thicker laptop, but it's probably going to perform better than a than a MacBook. But you're talking like significantly thicker, way less battery life and way more noise and way more heat as well. So this is these are the trade-offs that you have to make. And and you're and you're also talking about like very, very small performance gains for all of those negatives. So that's why MacBooks, I would consider them pretty, pretty high up there. If you're looking at, you know, running a lot of a lot of your development, development servers, any sort of infrastructure you need on your computer, it, MacBook's gonna do it pretty well.
0: I was going to say on the uh, on the laptop side, on the Windows side, so I have a, well, I call it an Ultrabook. I don't really know if it's considered an Ultrabook, but uh, just last year I bought one just because the gaming laptop getting older. Uh, it, it's my desktop replacement and also gaming laptops have a really bad battery. And lately I've been uh, working a little more mobile. So I picked up an Asus Aviva Book S. And this is an example of like a good, like efficient processor on the Windows side. So it's a Ryzen 7 6800H. I don't know if there's a one that's newer because I bought this in 2022, 16 gig RAM, one terabyte hard drive or one terabyte SSD, excuse me, uh, and Windows 11 home. It's been really good. It's been working for, you know, over a year. I get really I I'm off the wall, maybe not as long as eight or nine hours, but probably, well, actually probably close to eight or nine hours uh, at the end of the day. Um, five to nine hours, let's say, depending on what I'm doing. Uh, and I bought that at the end of 2022. And it's been really, really good. Uh, really, really good for me. So that's, uh, you know, an example of something that does come from the window side. Nice, big touchpad. It's made of metal, mostly uh, nice, big screen. It's the most high resolution screen, even above my TV that I have. So there's that. Um, I think it's a 2K screen. And uh, I mean, I'm looking at the Amazon reviews and people are saying it's at 3.5 out of out of five i'm not really sure why maybe there was a quality problem at some point but the one i've used so far really really good charges up fast whatever the only problem that i really see is and this is even with my new computer as well is the newer amd processors take maybe it's the motherboards i don't know take forever to post not really sure what that is you click and you're like wait and you're like is it on is it working hello and then boom and then it sort of you know fires up it's like what the heck Like, what the heck was that? My, my BIOS time or my whatever used to be like 2.8 seconds on one of my old laptops. And now we're up to 28 seconds on some of these things. It's a little bit, a little bit wild. And I've looked it up and people, other people are complaining. So it's like an architecture thing, I guess, or whatever. Same thing on the Asus. You click it and it's like, hello. And the power LEDs on the sides, to like lift it and look, you're like, is it okay? And then it's fine. I don't know. So that's one small problem. Uh, But I mean, if you just like sleep your laptop, like many people do, then it's not a problem.
2: Yeah, those, those laptops are pretty beefy. Um, have you noticed any issues with the screen in terms of tech? Like, do you read a lot of text on it is my yeah. main question.
0: I like... And no issues? Like code up in there, no problems. Now, no, no I problems. will say this is like, in terms of displays, I'm the least picky person. Like, I am like regretting getting rid of my like 18-year-old screen to my left here. Okay. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's a little ridiculous. Obviously, if something's really jagged or something like totally unserviceable, I will complain. But
2: like... I am not a picky person with screens, so I will say that. So yeah, t- take this then with a grain of grain of salt because I'm I also haven't like experienced this myself, uh, but from from hearing about it from the industry, I guess, quote unquote industry. OLED screens for coding specifically apparently aren't the greatest because of eye strain issues with how OLED renders text, especially dark backgrounds with light text.
0: Mhm.
2: I I don't have a good like reasoning for that. I've just heard like I've been given this advice on several levels at this point where they're like, oh, don't go OLED for if you're going to go coding because your eyes will start to hurt after a while. I again, this is advice I'm passing on from people that I trust in the industry, but not necessarily something that will happen to you. OLED is amazing for content and amazing for gaming. I want to be clear on that. It's the best screen technology out there right now. Um, and I I kind of want to still try it because that's what I want to do. But I've been told multiple times to steer away from it if you're just like looking for productivity. Uh, yeah, so still plenty of good laptops that that was a good suggestion there matt they they, there's there's a few asus laptops that i probably will link in the uh in the show notes and also there's going to be thinkpads the thinkpad carbons like there's going to be some really high-end windows laptops i steer away from surface lately because they've had some uh quality control issues i was
0: actually going to ask you like what would you say about ecosystem things so something like A MacBook is appealing if you're in the Mac ecosystem with like an iPad and an iPhone and this and that. So the other ecosystems out there on the Windows side of things would be Samsung with their Galaxy book lineup as well as a Microsoft Surface, uh, which is I yes, all these things all these other things, like yes, Asus plugs into a lot of my ecosystem stuff, but it's just it just makes sense sometimes. You know what I mean? You go to Apple and it's like, I need a MacBook. What's your price range? Okay, how much RAM do you need? Okay. And you just sort of buy it and it's ecosystem ready. Whereas, like, you buy, you know, some other some other laptop with Windows, you might get some bloatware. You might have to like install the stuff manually. It's not just ready for you. So some people are just going to want to go, Microsoft makes Windows. I'm going to buy the Microsoft thing. Yeah. That's the surface. Or um, I like my Samsung phone and my Samsung TV and my Samsung monitor and my Samsung whatever the heck else, my Samsung car, whatever. Uh, so I'm going to buy a Samsung Galaxy book. What do you think of those? Because there is a markup for the name
2: with those, right? There's a markup for the name. And I just, I there isn't enough of a ecosystem, in my opinion, on the Windows side, on any Windows side, to warrant staying within like Samsung or Microsoft. Okay. Like the the, the ecosystem boost that you get from Mac and Apple is like, 10 times what you would get from a Microsoft ecosystem boost. Oh, sorry, not a Microsoft, like a Samsung ecosystem boost. When you're going Microsoft, like anything anything Windows, you're more in in the space of like, this works with everything, but I have to configure it, right? Like you have to do, you have to download this app or you have to do this and you have to connect that. Whereas with Apple, if you have everything Apple, and I don't personally, but if you have everything Apple, everything just works, like literally. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like you don't have to configure much, if anything, at all. Like your AirPods just connect and your your iPad can just become a second screen without really any configuration. And like that stuff doesn't really exist in the Microsoft ecosystem. Any all of that stuff exists fundamentally in terms of like your galaxy buds on a Samsung device can automatically pair.
0: And you can, like, tap the bezel on some TVs with a Samsung phone to, like, yeah. mirror displays
2: and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. But it's all really fragmented and also quickly unsupported. That's my biggest concern with That's, it. Is, like, yeah, that is true, actually. Yeah. Samsung will come out with a feature and then all of a sudden, like, two years down the line, be like, "Now nah, we're not doing that anymore. And so, like, you're, the ecosystem that you bought into is now losing features and stuff like that. and. It's just, it's a weird situation on the Windows side. I wouldn't buy into Windows for the ecosystem is what I'm trying to say. If you're going ecosystem and you want the easiest possible cooperation between all your devices, that's Mac. But for me, like, I don't want that. I don't want to be locked in because that's what it is. It is kind of vendor lock-in to the Macs. I have Mac, I have Windows, I have Android, I have an iPad. Like, I literally have all of the ecosystem's and yes, I have to configure some stuff to make them work together sometimes, but that configuration is pretty minimal. It's minimal enough for me not to care about it as much. So like, I just, I, I don't personally care. And for developers, it's going to be very personal, but a lot of times it, it doesn't really matter because you're going to have to configure shit anyway, like you're a developer. So it's not a huge deal. Um, but on that, on that front, I think Matt and I had a good discussion before the show, like do, in this tier, because it's the max tier, infinite infinite dollars. Do you prefer having a dedicated machine for desktop and a dedicated machine for laptop? This is this is again a very big preference thing. Uh, I think Matt and I both are in the camp of having separated machines. So like I have a a Windows desktop that sits on my desk. That's my gaming machine for the most part. I do some development on it, personal projects. And then I have a laptop, like a MacBook Pro that I do most of my development on. Right. And I, I prefer that, I think. Because again, it's that separation of concerns the separation of like hey i do all my work on this or i do this x work on this and i do this x work on this it's specifically configured for that work it's not general purpose anymore as much so it's kind of nice in that sense as well and you can really like customize all of the shortcuts all the settings to be as dedicated to your workflow as you possibly can rather than trying to make it again general purpose and work for everything so that that's my preference still i think that could change um, I've tried the approach of just using a laptop for everything and I didn't personally like that yet maybe again as laptops evolve as technology expands as Mac os catches up or Windows catches up whichever one uh like whichever one gets becomes significantly better at some point maybe I'll go to one device but right now I kind of like the separation of like boom Mac os is for development Windows is for everything else I like having two separate devices I have my desk configured to have like a hub that I can plug my MacBook in and everything will be connected to it, both my monitors, all my keyboard and mouse. I have a KVM switch that will switch between my MacBook and my desktop so that my, my monitors are switched to my mouse, keyboard, microphone, everything, like webcam, everything is switched. So like, I, I'm, I'm curious to see what you would think on that.
0: Uh, it is something that takes time to like sort of learn what you want as well. Like, and, and you, and like, the, it's kind of a grass is always, greener like on the other side type thing where, where you're like oh i bought like i bought like a a really nice desktop but it would be really nice to have a really nice laptop oh but it would be really nice to have just a dockable all-in-one machine and so there is sort of a level of experimentation and trying different things and in my particular case what i did is i went all desktop because that's what i knew And I had a productivity laptop. This is way back in college. So I had a really nice desktop, productivity laptop that was capable of a little bit of gaming because we did some gaming between classes. And I went from that to going, you know what? Like having this really nice big like desktop, I bought one that was just totally ridiculous. It had three graphics cards with Crossfire X. It was a big mess. And so I thought, okay, you know what I need to do? What I need to do is I need to, you know, kind of downsize. So that computer constantly required fixing, blah, blah, blah. Years go by, and I I think in order to sort of get over this annoying constant repair, I'm going to buy a nice gaming laptop. Well, you buy it for work, I'll buy it for play, but again, I don't really play many PC games. I'm mostly a console gamer, so that sounds good to me. That way I can go to the odd LAN party, but 90% of the time, if not more, I'm going to be working on this thing, and it'll be really powerful, it'll last a long time. That's the laptop I still have today. That was supposed to be my desktop replacement, although I never got to dock it. It aged, the other computer aged even more because I was still using it, the other big desktop. And now I have a new desktop computer. And then somewhere in between there, I also bought like a productivity laptop. And what this is, what this is, is this is me experimenting with what I like. And what I think I actually like, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, is I like having three computers. (laughs) I like having a beefy, this is my desktop replacement. I can bring this with me anywhere, but it basically needs a wall. Like it needs, it needs me to be able to plug it in. But this allows me to do desktop level stuff on the go anywhere, whether it's work, whether it's play, I need this. Then I have a little, little guy, an ultra book where I have a, a battery and, it, and the battery lasts for more than 40 minutes and I'm able to run around with it and do things and I'm able to work on the go and do this and do that. That I like that a lot. And then I like being able to sit at my desk and just have the damn thing work and be fast. And that's what I like here. Like I'm really impressed by the performance boost I've gotten by this new computer, um, and so that is where I'm at. And so it's I know it's like it like this is why it's the max tier, because it sounds ridiculous, like Matt likes having three computers. It's like, yeah, that's that's where I'm at. Um, that is where I'm at. But luckily, you know, I'm not upgrading these things every year or even every five years. I'm upgrading these things, you know, as they become a problem. And I live with them as a problem for a long time uh, where I fix them up or I just deal with them being slow. And then eventually I go, OK let's do the upgrade and that's sort of where i am on the max tier because i also have a tablet and i also you know it's 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 just because i've built up tech over the years um and that type of thing but that's that's where i'm at i need a desktop a portable desktop a desktop and an ultrabook that's where i'm at um i know that sounds ridiculous oh and two phones (laughs)
2: I don't think it's like it is ridiculous it is ridiculous on any on any like scope but like i think when you get to the level where you're you know 10 years into your career it it happens to almost everyone yes yeah like build up this like technical arsenal you should say for very specific things and sometimes people will do that and then like minimalize and they're like you know what this is too much and then they go back to like one device and i've seen that happen many times but sometimes people will just keep doing that where like I use this for just traveling on the bus and <laughs> I use this for travel on the yeah, plane. Yeah. And it, like, it's just, it gets out of control, but you know what? Like whatever works, whatever works for you. And again, it's the max tier. So do what works for you. That's, that's the main thing. Like money is no longer really an object. Uh, now you're trying to min max. This is the min maxing portion of your career where yes, you know, having a fourth laptop or a third laptop is not going to two X your productivity, not going to happen,
0: but it is going
2: to, but it is convenient. And like, you might, you know, write a little bit more because your laptop lasts for longer on battery. And I do. And, and, and maybe like you might be a little bit more focused on your desktop replacement laptop at your friend's house when you have to code up like a little application or something. And then maybe on your desktop desktop, like at at your home, you have everything set up, everything's super quick. You upgrade it so that you can encode video faster. You can record video, like whatever other side gigs that you do on your computer, you're going to do that faster. So like, It does add up to be a little bit more productive here and there, even though obviously the price scaling doesn't make sense, right? Like, you know, you're you're 10, like an extra $5,000 into your setup isn't going to make you five times as productive. That's not going to be the case, but it might make you more productive. It might make you like to work more and it might make you more focused. Whatever it does for you, try to find that balance like you don't want too much because then you could be like oh my god i'm just i have too many things going on right now where i'm literally troubleshooting the entire day like yeah I, anything like you the, add needs maintenance right yeah correct so you have to be you have to be careful there. like literally this this holiday break i was like okay i'm gonna change up my setup a little bit i'm going to make it so that i don't have to connect two wires to my uh, macbook i can just connect one dock right and i went through three or four Three docks. They yeah, have three docks and they all had issues. All of them. Like the one wire, like it just wasn't a thing. Like it just wasn't working. Like whether two, mon- like I could not connect two monitors to it without the second monitor, like flashing or both monitors being low resolution. Yep. Just not possible. Not possible. Probably due to heat uh, and noise. or Something both. like that. I don't, yeah. It gotta be both. Like I found a solution where like I have this little dock thing that I connect to the side of my laptop. It uses just two cables Or two of my USB-C ports, but it's one device. So I connect it once. And then it's connected to all of my peripherals. So, like, both my monitors. And it it works. It's not as, like, nice and convenient, as elegant as I really wanted it. So I'm a little bit disappointed in this situation. Because I still have, like, four wires coming out of the side of my laptop. Because the dock kind of, like, hooks into the side of my laptop. Going off my desk. I wanted one wire and everything else to be routed under my desk. Not happening. I looked everywhere. Even Thunderbolt 4 docks, which are like $400, they're all meant to be like one wire, which again, can't on MacBooks for whatever reason, it's an M1 limitation, support two monitors off of one port. On a Windows PC, not a problem. So point for Windows there for sure, on Intel and AMD. Uh, They just, M1s still have issues with multiple monitors on one port. And with, if you're buying an M1 air, I should mention this as a, as a caveat, you can only connect one extra monitor to it. So that's a limitation of the M1 or M2 airs. You can't connect multiple monitors, only one extra monitor. Now that monitor can be 5k 120 Hertz. Great, but only one. So it's a little bit of a disappointment uh, on that front. They should, they should really make it so that you can connect more monitors. The M1 Pros and the M2 Pros and the M3 Pros—they can each have, I think, two monitors or three monitors, and then the M1 Maxes can have four. So, like, you can get around it in the ecosystem, but you have to upgrade tiers and tiers and tiers to be able to up- to be able to connect it, and it's still kind of a pain in the ass. So, again, this is one of those situations that, like, if I was doing this during work time, not holiday time, I would be wasting more time than actually being productive.
0: Well, to be fair, as well, like that's a lot of work for one little cable, as well, like that. Like, like, look at the back of any, of your desktop or my desktop. There's like 17 yeah. things plugged in. That is a lot it. of all of that being consulted. No, I agree with you. Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's what I wanted at a USB-C for a long time. USB-C of whatever spec. I know there's 10,000 specs out there. But USB-C for a long time is just plug everything into the desk, effectively. Like, have a desk mounted, a USB hub. Plug everything into that so that there's not cables everywhere. And then plug one thing into the computer. And then, obviously, a power cable to the computer. And there you go. That's it. That's all you need. And then maybe the odd USB stick if you still use those, but that's it. That's the like that's the end of that's the end of it. Where, whereas that's not the case for a lot nope. of things. Or there's lots of struggles as Mike is experiencing because um, I have a dock as well for uh, one of my tablets, and it it uh, it it tells you just straight up. It says like, "Hey, 1080p max on both these monitors." Like period. And like again, it makes sense electrically speaking. There's probably a lot of noise. Maybe there's a lot of heat being generated. Who knows? Like I don't know all the electrical ins and outs, but I do know about noise and heat and so maybe that's what's up but no i like yeah even even though we're at like the max tier like i do definitely try to baby my stuff i try to keep things around for a long time like i'm not going crazy and just like oh let's buy another computer let's get another monitor let's get another webcam like this webcam's old um you know things like that like or I'll, or I'll upgrade like everything all at once. Like I'll go, okay, like I'm going to upgrade like the desktop or the, uh, sorry, the, uh, the USB keyboard and the, uh, USB microphone or the USB, uh, mouse. Like I'll get like a set together. And so like, those are those two. And then it's like, okay, I'll get a wireless mouse for my laptop. So I'll like try to, you know, boxing day or black Friday, get two mice wired and wireless, get a, get a nice keyboard. Okay, great. Those are equipped. Now chances are, as they age, they'll go around the same time. Then I'll only replace those. It's really unfortunate when people like upgrade everything all at once and then everything also goes at once. And then it becomes like a big problem that happens a lot in the house appliances. I, I find a lot of people will be like, I'll just get it all at once. And be like, yeah, and you're going to be replacing it all at once too, more likely. So, <laughs> so there's that. So like, you know, even at the max tier, I do have some, sense of financial d- decorum i guess but no mike's right trying to keep things you know in a specific like i've tried so many different headphones where i'm like i want these to connect to my th- phone like one of the things that i love is when you just open the galaxy buds and it just like it pops up it's like yo there's some galaxy buds here but like yeah yeah there is and i don't need to go into your stupid bluetooth menu which is such a like superfluous. you know <laughs> like, I, like could, I could i could go to the tap. bluetooth menu <laughs> I, there was a ca- I rented a car and I was like, man, I love this car because when I get in, it's like it works with Android Auto and Samsung, too, as well. I think I'm not 100% because I just rented it for a short duration, but it just wirelessly mirrored my my screen and continued playing my podcast exactly where it was off. And I was like, yes, like Wire- wireless
2: Android Auto is like, that's a thing. Like that's the, the, the that's life goals right there.
0: And I'm pretty sure, <laughs> like, that's the car I'm going to eventually get because it's just like and it's also just basic car like i give me annual or analog gauges and don't fucking bother me <laughs> like i, I yeah, want a hatchback and just just don't bother me like i don't i don't no, want no touch
2: screens. fuck touchscreens no touch
0: screens. everything's yeah. tactile for the most part and no like you know when you get like a like because you're in this max tier i guess although i'm definitely not in the max tier of car but like <laughs> but like if you're in the max tier of car i guess where you just don't care like people will get like you know whatever BMWs or whatever, and I see the TikToks people are like this ding could mean that you're low in washer fluid or that you have a six thousand dollar repair. I'm like no, App, like actually no, I'm not going to do that. That's stupid, and I don't find myself, I don't see myself ever doing that. That's just foolish. So yeah, I just I want my car to go, and that is all. <laughs> <laughs> and have GPS without having a bunch of fucking dongles and cables all over the damn place. That would be nice. So and. And and also I would say one final note is that like, you know, some people are like, some people will say to me and Mike, I'm sure you experienced this too, where, you know, you're spending money on docs, you're fucking around whatever. And then you have like those friends where it's like, you spend so much money on that. Like you could, you know, buy a house with all this money that you're spending. I'm like, nah, no, nah, that's not right. This computer is like one month rent in Canada. My two consoles are half a month's rent in Canada. I got an 11 year old, 11 year old TV. Let's relax. You know what I mean? So like, yes, like this is my thing. Like I do a lot of electronic stuff personally and on. And, uh, I do a lot, of, a lot of things like, like, um, like personally and professionally, I guess I should say. Right. But I'm not bankrupting myself, like by far. And so like people got to relax a little bit with <laughs> things like that. People will try to shame you. Oh, you spend money on video games. I'm like, oh, you spend money at the bar. You know, it's ridiculous. Like we're just tit for tat. Who
2: spends money on what? Like, just shut up. <laughs> yep hundred percent. Exactly. And, and most of the stuff like when you get for productivity, like it, it'll pay itself off. So it's, you know, it, it's a perfectly fine investment. Once you're at the point where you can make it, um, just want to kind of go through quickly because we're at like an hour and a half here. Uh, I I'm really impressed if anyone's listening to it this far, uh, let us know what your setup is like right now in on Twitter at HTML, everything tag me there. Cause I'm really interested and I'll probably throw a picture of my setup there as well, just for you, for everyone to show. I'll, I'll try to pin it before this episode comes out so that everyone can see, but just to kind of quickly go through here for the max setup that I have uh multi-monitor setup or ultra wide, ultra wide, depending on how finicky you are about like, you know, how you set up your productivity workflow, ultra wide might be more of a pain in the ass than it's helpful helping. Cause it's like one, like most computers, most operating systems aren't meant to work on one big screen. So anything you do, you have to kind of adapt to that, right? So it's not something that's built into every single operating system as like the default setting, right? Like a, a, lot, of, a lot of things are starting to support it, but that's the thing, like everything's starting to support ultra wide, not defaulting to wide. So you need to be okay with the fact that you're gonna have to play around with it to figure out the workflow that works for you. I was not okay with that. I was really looking into it and I was like, this seems like it's more work than it's worth. I'm going with kind of a multi-monitor setup 127 inch, 124 inch screen. The 24 inch screen is in vertical, so I can get more lines of code up and down. I don't lunatic.
0: Have to, nope. I don't have lunatic. to take my neck all the way lunatic. to the side. I don't.
2: Like, my neck started to hurt when it was in not horizontal. vertical. Vertical no. is great. Vertical is great. Highly I don't even care vertical. about aesthetics
0: that much. And it looks when great I see too. it. When I no, it, <laughs> it looks no, fantastic. Lunatic. It's a wide <laughs> screen for a reason.
2: It's not a nope. tall screen. Lunatic. Looks amazing. <laughs> it'll be in the Twitter. It'll be. It'll be posted on Instagram. Let me know what you think. I think I'd rather I don't have like a sore neck, because no. <laughs> I acknowledge but, that it is more useful to have a vertical monitor. Can't do it. To be to be fair, I am considering because of all this dock issues and because of all the other issues like uh, my neck yeah. hurting. I am considering just removing the second screen and just having one screen.
0: Oh, that's okay. Uh, it, Lu, but, Mike is a lunatic for yeah, monitor. Multi monitor might display, be a no. lunatic,
2: like because I I am <laughs> way too used to two screens, so I'm worried about doing that. But. If you get good with your shortcuts and your gestures, you can get it to be pretty damn productive. But again, it's one of those things where, like, I have to change my workflow. It's probably not happening anytime soon.
0: That, yeah, yeah, we were talking about the max tier where you're just like, you're like nitpicky. But then you're just like, I'll just give up this thing. Correct. No. Like, now, yeah, I will say this yeah, is like, I like those really big monitors, those big, yeah, what are they, The like Samsung a- Odyssey or some, I don't know, some crazy thing where it's like this huge thing where like it's like a
2: half, half circle. Well, that, that, that's the ultra wide. Like that's the, that's, that's the 49 inch ultra wide. Like that's too big. That's too big. But here, I, like, I that. like that idea. Like
0: instead of having three, uh, two monitor. Yeah. But instead of having three, I would prefer I, that
2: big one. Yes, probably. But again, you have to set everything up to like work with it. It's kind but
0: of. But I think ass. what I've been told, and I want to be clear, I don't have this. But what I've been told is that the Samsung software or whatever software it is, is really good at just being like this app is 1080p and just puts it in 1080p and everything else goes black. So it's like, okay, like, who cares?
2: There is. Yeah. Again, I I looked into it pretty intensively. There's a lot of little fixes like that that you're mentioning that do work well. But like you have to do that, like for every app almost. That would be a problem. it It gets a little bit annoying and like you can get you can work with it. It's fine. Like, I'm sure you can get a really good productive workflow going with it and people do. It's just not something that I wanted to deal with and want to deal with at the moment. I'm still going to link some because I did a bunch of research on the widescreen, on ultra wides, because I was going to get one. I'm going to link some of them. LG ultra Geals are good. The Samsung Odyssey, like Matt's saying, eight, there's some Asus ultra wides and some Dell and alien wares that are great. I'm going to link them in the show notes. So check them out. Uh, if you want the one monitor setup, up, if you're going the Mac, if you're, if you have infinite money to spend the studio display is probably the way to go. I'm not in that scenario, but like whatever, like if you, if you want the perfect color reproduction and everything to work perfectly with the MacBook, there's nothing better than the studio display. It has the perfect scaling, perfect resolution, perfect colors. And it has like the one cable setup with charging and USB hub and all that support. It's really nice. Next thing I want to mention here, sit stand desks. I, I recommend them. Uh, they're, they're really like good for your back, for your legs, everything. I stand for a couple hours a day, I want to say. So a lot of my meetings, I'll do standing usually on the podcast. I'm currently sitting right now because it's just I'm tired. But a lot of the podcasts that we do, I do standing. Uh stuff like that isn't doesn't require deep work. I usually stand for. Just to get like a different position. I'll sometimes even game standing, which is kind of nice. Uh, so that that's totally up to you uh, but it is kind of a nice thing to have for ergonomics and stuff like that um you'll probably again for the headphones route you'll probably want a few different headphones here one for like comfortable open air one for noise canceling if you want to get in like a in the zone or if there's loud noises around you probably an airpods pro or a galaxy buds pro for the on the go noise canceling or when you just don't want to be tied to the desk with a cable.
0: Well, consider the microphone, like whether you have a, yeah. you know, a studio microphone or like just a good headset that has a good microphone because you don't yeah. need studio quality if you're just doing Zoom calls. Like cuz Zoom's going to compress it anyway unless
2: they've turned that off, which
0: is which they they're not they going
2: haven't. to, yeah. <laughs> they have But but having a good microphone is nice first even for Zoom calls. Like yes, it's going to get compressed, but it it does sound different. Like when you when I'm talking on zoom, I use my studio mic and it's like, people notice it right away. Oh, sure. And sure get, it is yeah. better. Yeah. And like for meetings and if you're working remote, I kind of recommend it. If you're going max tier, get a decent mic, like at least a blue or like the Elgato that we have. We'll link both of those in the show notes as well. Like the Elgato is nice and small. It's smaller than the blue Yeti. And uh, it, it's perfect. Like it's a USB mic. You don't have to fiddle around with any of the XLR settings and stuff like that, that you don't have to have a separate XLR card. This is just everything's built in good, including including a headphone jack, which I'm using right now. I'm using it right now, too. It's a perfect headphone jack, too. Like it has a really good DAC. Awesome. Awesome uh, microphone Uh, and decent camera. Uh, This like you don't need a 4K camera, a decent 1080p camera. Perfect. Again, if you're working remotely, which a lot of developers are, it's kind of nice to have these kinds of things that will make your meetings better. will make better first impressions when you're on interviews. If you're ever doing any sort of podcasts or any sort of like interviews on videos or you're recording yourself, whatever, it's nice to have better stuff like this. Uh, it's going to make life better, just period. And that's about it. I don't want to – I we Matt and I could probably talk about this for another hour and a half. Like, oh, I, yeah. I don't doubt that at all. Maybe we'll do another follow-up episode if you want it. If you want a follow-up episode on like accessories and like coffee setups and – Whatever else you want us to talk about in terms of tech, we could talk for hours. So let us know again, HTML, everything on Twitter at HTML, things on Instagram, that's going to get right to us, DM us there, or or just post on one of our posts, comment on one of our posts, and we will definitely get back to you on there. So I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I think that covers the the basics, at least, for the setup that you need to be successful.
0: I do want to add one thing, and that is about accessories. I'm not going to get deep dive into them, but I do want to say that be careful what accessories you buy and when you're what you're buying them for. The reason being is that there are there are a lot a lot of them. If I can speak correctly, a lot of them are in their own ecosystems. And the reason why I mentioned that is because if you have something like you want to have like a stream deck for productivity, because they're not just for streaming. Or if you want to have like this Elgato microphone that Mike mentioned, it requires Elgato software. Now, it's not a huge deal in most cases, but if you have a computer that is, you know, not running the greatest and you start buying a lot of these accessories, a bunch of these things have accompanying software. And they all require their own software, unless they're in the same ecosystem. So, for example, I have a Prism XL desk mat. I also have a SteelSeries, uh, I think it's a Pro 7, whatever, it's a full-size keyboard. I also have a rival, uh, I forget what number it is, but it's the big heavy one with the actual, like, haptic feedback motor inside of it, Uh, mouse. Um, They're all from SteelSeries, so they all use SteelSeries GG, which is their software. But remember that if you go and you're like, oh, I'll use Corsair for this and I'll go with this and you're going to have software all over the dang place. If you're into gaming or you have any RGB in your computer, you're going to have a bunch of software that way as well. And these things, even if you have a really kick ass computer and you're like, I can run as many softwares as I want in the background, that might be true, but they might not like each other. And so that's going to be a whole other thing. So do your research um, because I had a heck of a time getting my uh, computer fans to work and I minimized it to Gigabyte and Corsair. And I still had a bit of trouble back and forth with RGB Fusion and IQ. So do make sure that you do your research with your accessories. There's a reason why I only use SteelSeries is because I like their software and I like their product and I'm not using another piece of software. So I will always basically now, unless something drastic happens, buy SteelSeries. That's basically where I'm at with that. So do keep that in mind. Some stuff can work on generic software. Like I have a Logitech webcam that does have software, but I didn't install it. I just use the Windows software and it's fine. So that's that. But just to keep in mind that there is a lot of software out there for these things and it can get a little bit silly if you have a bunch of different pieces of software just to control some lights or whatever it is. that's it. That's it for me. I think that uh, that concludes this episode. Um, a bit of a long one, but a lot of tech to cover, a lot of things to discuss. Uh, there's a lot of tech out there, and Matt, Mike, and I are obviously passionate about it because I could talk about my desk setup and having we're having a drink holder on the desk and a headphone thing underneath the desk and all kinds of things like that. So anyway that concludes this episode remember that we are on patreon that is patreon.com html all the things if you're interested in supporting the show and many thanks to our three dollars tier patrons ryan gatchell from blue black digital on Blueblackdigital.com, digital.com tim from the web hacker on the web hacker.com jason from geek life radio via geek life radio.com michael curie from mc web studio via mcwebstudio.ca magnus from yesweb via yesweb.se jeff from twitter via at the jeff McHale, fire Ant season via fire Gunnar season.com via gunner Burnett.com. Poto- Coding via via Watoto Coding.com, Garrett's a goal, and Level Up Financial Planning via www.levelupfinancialplanning.com. Remember, we also have a Scrimba link if you want a discount on their subscriptions. Go check that out. That is Scrimba.com slash link slash hat. Hat is spelled H A T T. And as a final note, we'd also like to give a shout out to Michael Araka, a contributing author on HTML, all the things.com. Michael is the author of Self Taught, the X Generation blog at Self Taught TXG. Com. Feel free to leave a comment to review in the platform you're listening to this on, and this outro will sign us off.
1: You've been listening to HTML All the Things podcast Signing off.